1: It sunk.
2: What, but the submarine?
1: But, but they, they were all on it, and everyone. But they, they're all dead? Not all of them.
3: Wait, where are you going?
1: Finish what I started.
4: is over but we have to go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps talking season six episode 14 the candidate i'm josh wiggler mike bloom we are both here to finish what we started
2: all right so let's see i got some reeses of course that's natural i uh, brought natural. some hundred grands. i feel like that's a that's Ugh. sort of an underrated thing uh we're, we're here for a candy date right we we're are just here we're gonna candy we're date, sitting Mike. on the mic yeah. we're gonna chew candies deliciously into the microphones which i'm Ugh. sure everyone will enjoy and we're just gonna talk about our favorite candies uh a oh bit of a deviation considering that we typically talk about lost but you know what uh i can't think of any happier way to spend this week, certainly not grieving the loss of three major characters that have been there since the very first episode. Oh
4: my god. Um, it is... It, no amount of candy is going to sweeten the fact that we have to talk about
2: death
4: this week, and <laughs> tragic death for multiple favorite characters. Said Jirah. There is none. There's no Saeed. Uh, we are going to be uh, uh, deprived of Saeed from this point moving forward. Jin and Son... They shall also die. Uh, And of course, if there's anything that can mitigate this, we also lose Seamus this week.
2: (laughs) (laughs) A little bit of good to go with the bad, right? Every dark cloud has a silver lining.
4: Yes, uh, absolutely. So it's the candidate. You've been waiting for it, we've been waiting for it We've been dreading it in many ways I'm sure uh, we watched this live with the patrons of Post Show Recaps the other night, it was uh, a kind of hold your breath uh, you know, ten Oof. minutes for that one <laughs> sequence once it really goes Yeah, poor choice of words on my part, mm-hmm. but it, re- it really was one of those moments where uh, there was a lot of silence in the room uh, of people just, you know, kind of watching the show rather than reacting to the show. This is a a a tough episode. It's fascinating too because much of it's not good. Um, There's, you know, there's a a swath of this episode that I think is just fine uh, and Mm. is sort of, uh, just, you know, sort of your run-of-the-mill season six stuff. But eventually, you get into the submarine and the episode doesn't relent there are are things to uh to parse out lots of arguments to be had mike lots of feelings to explore um but the tour de force quality of this episode for me still all these years later nearly a decade later uh more than a decade later right at this point gosh um is just uh still so brutal so agonizing to watch this one
2: yeah it's it's such an interesting thing because it really, in my opinion, sort of represents not, like, the worst of the worst, but, like, a nice microcosm of what Season 6 does really well and doesn't do really well. Because, to your point, the first half of this episode is really nothing to write home about not even considering any communication with home uh you know i think your sort of message last week about how maybe this and the last recruit could be considered a two-part episode i began to see that more over the course of the first half of this episode because it really is about following up on the quote-unquote cliffhanger from last week of getting everyone back together and getting everyone in the sub it's much more plot heavy features an egregious amount of winmore goons being stupid asses as they always are but I agree with you. Once that submarine door closes, it is tremendous lost. It makes me feel things in a way that I haven't felt with season six since Apaturno. And before then, it really drips uh, fits and starts over the course of the season through various scenes. And even outside of the obvious grave nature of what happens in the submarine and the subsequent grieving from it, you know, the flash sideways is really intriguing as well. The Last Recruit was all about this idea of almost circling the drain and starting to bring all these parties together. But in this episode, we really take a step back to focus on one particular man I know that we talked about the viewpoints being a bit ubiquitous over the course of this last part of the season, and this episode's technically billed as a Jack and Locke episode, but Josh, I would go so far as to say I think this is the last Jack Shepard episode of Lost. This really feels so Jack-centric on both the island and and in The Flash Sideways, that we see this entire quest, you know, for such a wide scope of a lens that we have in The Flash Sideways in general. We really focus in on one character for one final time to really round things out, and it's much more of a simple process, but leads to some incredibly beautiful scenes. In my opinion, there's just so much going on in the last 20 minutes of this episode that it absolutely obfuscates, I'd say, the first 20 minutes, yep. though we will certainly talk about that over the course of this podcast. Yeah, I
4: think once it starts cooking, it, it really is just uh, unbelievably uh, <laughs> just, you cannot get out from underneath it, which is, you know, the feeling that is evoked is the content of the show. So, that is one of those moments where, okay, this is rather effective. Uh, game respects game, and I don't have to like it to appreciate it <laughs> and to maybe even love it, uh, but also to maybe loathe it. This is a complicated episode i think people have complicated relationships with it we will get into the gin and son of it all finally we have Mm. to we have to talk about all of that um we will talk about how this uh you know it's alongside Saeed's ending. Um, there's so much to get into. We do have a lot of feedback, which is really great. We did apparently have some last recruit feedback that just slipped through the cracks. Apologies to those who who had written in. I do not we, think uh, that we
2: were rendered deaf by the explosions of
4: mortar around us. Right? That Our might have ears been were it. ringing. I think that's possible. Uh, so we apologize about that. But we have so much feedback this week that I am sure we will make up for it. Uh, and just so much business to get into here as we're talking about the candidate uh, and then getting really close to the end of the line after this uh we will stay just now um on that feedback tip that we are going to be recording next week early uh we are not watching across the sea next just a reminder, we already did that, so we're going straight from the candidate to what they died for. We have- you
2: might not want to remember that we watched Across the Sea all these but months ago, but you don't ago, have to watch it
4: again. That's the good news. Uh, so uh, if you've got feedback about Across the Sea that's still residual that you want us to get into next week, I think that that's an appropriate time to do it for sure, to acknowledge it in some yeah. way, shape, or form. And,
2: and hell, actually, you know what? Let me wager this as an experiment for hatchlings that might have time over the course of this next week. Maybe if you want to try watching Across the Sea now in the place where it originally aired uh, and writing about how most likely worse it is for it to be in this position as it was as it originally aired, that's also really good to reflect on, especially as we get to this ending and where it leaves things. Man, the choice to have Across the Sea follow up this episode, Josh, I think has to be, and this is a big statement, but maybe one of the worst decisions they made in Season 6. Just... (laughs) incredibly poor timing. I think that
4: that's the problem. I think that that's so much more the problem than, uh, than the episode itself Though the episode itself has enough problems to deal with. Uh, but the biggest problem is they, they kill us in this episode by killing characters that we love so dearly. And we are left on the beach with Jack and Hurley and Kate and Sawyer feeling exactly what they're feeling. And we want to stay in that space, but they move us into a totally different storyline. Um, in which you're supposed to care about the guy who just killed these people, the timing is horrifically bad uh, and just a, a big miscalculation. I think that that is for sure the piece. So you could watch it if you want, but the whole reason we unplugged it from the viewing order was to maybe improve your user experience a tiny bit, uh, at least as a as a as an exercise uh, in how does this work. But if you want to watch it the traditional way, go watch Across the Sea, hit us up with any questions that you still have about it that you think would be relevant for the... Um, what they died for podcast. Send that into down the hatch at postshowrecaps dot com. But we are recording it early, so we would say that the earliest, uh, or rather the latest, that you should get your feedback in for that one would be uh december 13th right bright and early in the morning as early as humanly possible we're going to be recording that at 1 p.m eastern on december 13th 2021 so if it's a light feedback week next week that is why we will follow uh you know what they died for with probably an eight hour podcast about <laughs> the series finale so you know yeah we'll, we, we'll we make have it up booked- to booked
2: Just to take a peek behind the curtain here. Yeah. Multiple calendar days have been booked off on mine and Josh's calendar. Spoiler alert, sometimes we record certain episodes that way as well. But yeah, we feel like it would do the end a disservice if we tried our own marathon podcast, especially considering how monumental, you know, the latter half of that is. So we're going to break it up. But I would say just as a commonality, in fact, I just put this out right now because people certainly have. If you have thoughts about what they died for and especially the end, you know, do not tarry. Uh, don't delay. Just feel free to, to send them in because the band behind the curtain is currently compiling them all. And the fact that we're recording both of those f- earlier in the week than usual means that you are guaranteed to get in before the door closes and you get blasted with water a Oof. la superhuman Frank Lapidus.
4: Oh, my God. Uh, Superhuman Frank Lapidus, Cyber Squad. All right. We are going to get into the candidate because there's just so much to do. So let's not waste any more time. We're going to throw it to a commercial. When we come back, we're doing it. We have to. We have to go back to the candidate. Stay tuned.
0: No purchase necessary. Void, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
4: Okay, Mike, let's go forth into the jungle to discuss The Candidate, directed by Jack Bender, written by Elizabeth Sarnoff and Jim Galasso, originally airing May the 4th be with you in 2010. Happy Star Wars Day and happy negative ninth birthday to
2: your <laughs> son, Mike Asher. <laughs> Yes, that's how we measure things, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, so Asher is technically negative nine. Did you get him anything on this day? Of course, I wished him a happy birthday. Who do you think I am, uh, Eric Divestein? No, I I did as well. Uh, as I was through my tears, I'm like, I just want to wish a happy negative ninth birthday to my uh, not-yet-conceived son. Uh, I believe I was actually probably watching this episode with the very woman who would become the mother of Asher Bloom, most likely. Angela was part of our little, like, lost season six watching club, so... Who knew May Fourth would be magical in so many ways? So
4: many ways. Um, so many, so many
2: Disney esque ways as well. Yeah, Mike, this is it's
4: it's life and death, right? Asher uh, lived. Uh, the son and Jin did not. Uh, yeah, so they're, they're, the Quans are really my boon. you yeah. know? Yeah, I think that's your constant. I think that we see it. Um, this is going to be a night that breaks a lot of people's hearts. This is a very, very difficult night of television. This is, um, would fair to call it the sort of the red wedding of Lost?
2: Yeah. Oh, 100%. Uh, I mean, I think there are other Red Weddings in terms of, like, big shocking moments. Like, I would say We Have to Go Back might be the Red Wedding in terms of, like, a very early season institution that everyone was talking about and had huge reactions. But if you're talking about emotional heft... Yeah, there is absolutely nothing in comparison. Maybe the end of Two for the Road, but I don't think there was nearly as much emotional attachment to Ana Lucia and Libby over the course of season two as there were for Saeed, Jin, and Son over the course of six seasons. Now, look, as we dissect these characters over the course of this podcast, we will certainly talk about how maybe the writers dropped the ball a bit with these three, three balls being dropped, not great jugglers these lost writers are over the course of these last couple seasons. But the fact of the matter is these were three people in on Oceanic Flight 815, were there from the jump in the very beginning. And so to see them killed in such a brutal fashion, in such an emotional fashion at that was truly, truly gutting.
4: Yeah, Uh, it was uh, just a horrible, horrible thing to have to behold all of this. And all these years later, still feels very traumatic. Uh, All these years since it aired, but even all of these years since we've been kind of preparing to talk about it here officially Mm -hmm. on the podcast. I got to be really honest with you. Mike knows this. I'm feeling a little off balance on the podcast today. Like I'm just not feeling 100%. I think part of it is because I know that this is such a significant moment in the show and such significant, um, you know, moment of devastation for the characters, both obviously the ones who die, but the ones who are left behind, and it is something that the fans and the fandom and you and I both feel so specifically about uh, that there's a lot of, I feel a lot of pressure talking about the candidate, oddly. I feel like a lot of pressure, uh, you know, uh, surrounding this episode more so than, I don't know, the last time I felt so charged about an episode of the show, and so, yeah, a little bit off tilt. Uh, It's a, it's It's a big one, Mike. It definitely throws you for a loop.
2: Well, here, you know what? Should we, like, uh, lessen our depth a little bit? Should we tell Lapetus that we're coming up and trying to, like, lessen the pressure building around us? Yeah,
4: maybe. Uh, Frank, what can you do about that? Um, some great Frank and Sawyer moments in this episode. Uh, I mean,
2: some, as in, like, a couple, well, but
4: just, considering that know, they,
2: they've barely had any beforehand. Yes,
4: that's what I'm saying, is the suggestion of what that could have been like. Uh, I yeah, think it's, is, it's very it much,
2: great. I forget if you've watched this episode of Community Josh, but very much the Clip Show episode when they say you could edit together any romantic moments montage and it's clips of abed and pierce who have barely spent any time together i very much get that sense from lapidus and sawyer are two season four co-mvps
4: that's amazing i look forward to watching that episode on community building at some point in time this is a um because it's remembered as the episode where the quans die and saeed dies i think that this episode does not get nearly enough credit for being um a really strong episode for jack and Locke uh, in the mm-hmm. sideways. And I think that the sideways story in this episode is really good. And the ways in which once you can view it as this is whatever unfinished business needed to get resolved between these two people after their lives, I think is, uh, for me, one of the moments where the sideways works the absolute best is in the relationship between Jack and Locke here. And sure, a lot of hullabaloo to get to this moment and uh, timey-wimey logistics stuff that it doesn't make sense that you can try hey, and Desmond hand a
2: man with his car.
4: <laughs> exactly. A lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, but I think that the moments between the two of them are really, really beautiful when you know who they are, where they landed, what they meant to each other. And we get into it right away with uh, the very first scene of the candidate, Mike, beginning in the sideways with John Locke waking up from surgery to Jack standing over him. Let's listen in sound number one.
5: Mr. Locke. Mr. Locke. Mr. Locke, can you hear me? Welcome back. I know you. (laughs) We were on the same flight back from Sydney. I met you in the baggage claim office. You had lost your knives jack shepherd
1: what happened
5: you were run down by a car you just came out of surgery am i am i all right your dural sac ruptured but i think i got everything back where it belongs Mr. Locke, while I was operating, I got a look at the initial injury to your spine, the one that put you in a wheelchair. And I was hoping you could tell me how that happened. Why? Because I think you're a candidate. A candidate for what? A new procedure. A surgery we're developing. And if it works, it could restore feeling to your legs. In fact, you may even walk again. If you give me a shot, Mister Locke, I think that that I could fix you. Oh, thank you. Well, now there's minimal risk, and and the benefit. I said be- no, Doctor.
1: John. No. Oh, John.
3: For something, let me see. Oh. Are you okay? Are you his doctor?
5: Yes, I am. Dr. Shepard.
2: Thank you.
3: Thank you. Thank you for saving him. Thank you.
2: Obviously not conveyed in audio format, but I should point out here that the very first thing we see of this episode leading into the scene is a white pillow the white of John Locke's pillow before it pans over to his face Uh, and I think that's significant not only given the themes of black and white over the course of the series but the fact of how the series will end right the bright light that will soon be flooding the church and our eyes in a couple of episodes from now and I think that also maybe uh, ties into the fact that what Locke is uh, muttering under his breath is I don't know edging on waking up perhaps? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or at least he's repeating phrases that sound familiar to him, if not something that he's entirely conscious of. Yeah,
4: I think that that's a really smart observation, uh, certainly about the the way that we open being a um, a way to kind of track how the show is going to close. Uh, with somebody waking up, white light and someone wakes up, as opposed mm. to white light and somebody closes their eyes forever. Um, but I just love this from from Jack's perspective of kind of yeah. <laughs> treat some part of Jack uh we've been watching it it's a big part of Jack over the last two seasons has been living with this deep regret over how he treated this person Uh forget mm. just you know he was right and that's obviously a big piece of it and he's going to say it in the finale of I just wish I had told him this when he was alive Um it's also I think man I was I was so I was so cruel I was you know this this was not good the way that we and I think that the Jack in this moment is talking about, um, you know, I can help you. Uh, and beyond that, the bedside manner is really strong. Uh, and he's he's kind to this man. It's not just that he wants to help him. It's that he wants to help him with a smile. He wants to understand him. He wants to connect him. Jack's journey in the sideways in this episode is basically researching aggressively and perhaps to some degree inappropriately <laughs> John Locke's life. Um, and I think that that really matches nicely with where Jack was at the End of his natural life. And for Locke, somebody who, um, you know, he's going to talk about it a little bit later about the pilot license that he had for a week. I think that that. You know, maps really strongly onto how John Locke was basically in charge of the island for a week, if that. I mean, if you if if you if you count the uh, you know the Jeremy Bentham days, then probably uh, about that long. Uh, And how it all just suddenly got horrible, and he crashed, and he lost his life, aka his his legs again, Uh, and that he's rudderless and he doesn't know what to do, and he's angry again because he thought that he found something important, but he didn't, and he's not yet woke to the fact that he was right, and people carried the ball, and they finished it, and they they saved the day, and they saw things through. Uh, So for these two people to not have gotten to have that resolution for themselves and for each other in life... This is, would I still trade a lot of the sideways for a better final season? Definitely. Um, but as far as the sideways goes and what the sideways is trying to express about the, the unfinished business and what you need to resolve to fully let go and sort of the peace that can wash over you when, when you do get a chance to let these things go. And you get the chance to kind of believe in, um, you know, these – you don't have to have been present for the story to have finished uh, and your life did matter. Uh, I think that the way that The Sideways plays those things out – plays really really well in this episode short of the wake-up sequences from the end which are just uh to some degree uh highly effective but so emotionally manipulative in in many ways (laughs) listen
2: editing is a bitch yeah
4: that i think that this feels uh this feels like some of the very best emotional sideways content that we've gotten
2: well, and that's because it focuses on the micro instead of the macro, right? Like last week was maybe the the sideways that it's macroiest of. Oh, now all these people are coming together and realizing how important they are for each other, even if they don't know who we are. And here we're really drilling down to one of the most pivotal relationships in the series, even though, again, these two guys don't know each other. I love a lot of what you brought up. I don't want to, you know, skip ahead too much to that sensational Jack Locke scene that's going to close out the Flash sideways, but I really liked this metaphor that you mentioned about, you know, him flying the plane to him becoming leader of the others at the end of season four and to beginning of season five. This idea of, like, I don't know what I did wrong. I'm sure there's some frustration there, as well as, you know, the idea that Locke had everything at his fingertips and then it all slipped away with a flash of light as it were. But also this idea that Locke felt himself the pilot of so many people, not even from the, the other's perspective, but like from the Jeremy Bentham days as well, right? Like he had a Christian shepherd type, tell him you have to go bring everyone back go ahead and do it right now. Uh, and so the fact that he felt like this was a task that he was supposed to do, he was supposed to keep this thing flying, and he ultimately failed, uh, you know, I think probably leaves his, um, him emotionally in his catatonic estate as his own father, which I find incredibly interesting. The other thing about Jack, you know, I find it so intriguing that you really map it onto latter day Jack, because I see so much of former day Jack in his behavior in this episode. Which I think also makes sense, given, uh, you know, Lighthouse, as an example, shows how Jack still has some tendencies uh, when he's not necessarily in his fully woke state to show a bit of that stubbornness, that recalcitrance that he has shown in those first few seasons. And we get that here as well. Like you said, the plot line of this episode from a sideways perspective is essentially Jack trying to Scooby Doo this shit and Sherlock out of what caused John Locke's, you know, paralysis. And like you said, it's an incredible invasion of privacy, absolutely stepping out of his boundaries. But this is who we know Jack Shepard to be in the early days, right? He's a guy who has trouble letting things go, has a compulsion to fix things, even driving himself to the personal brink. He is someone who will very much overstep boundaries in the pursuit of what he thinks is the greater good, in a manner of speaking. And so while I do think his investment in Locke might call back to the way that he left things with the man. I think a lot of his behavioral tendencies also calls back to the very first time we saw this guy and how he handled that position of leadership. It's a tough habit to break. And evidently, uh, Jack is showing that over the course of this episode. So we'll
4: dig into that more as we go through Jack's sideways journey. First on the island, Jack is waking up from nearly being exploded uh, to a man who is about to be exploded. Officially exploded. Uh Said is here. He welcomes Jack to Hydra Island. And he does at least get one last snarky Said line in. At least you didn't have to paddle.
2: So that that has to show that Said at this point has fully like transitioned. Right? He, like I, I think don't, he's I don't back. Th-
4: I think he's, yeah, back, Zom, I think he's saeed is don't cracks. He's keeping his cards close to the vest. I think that he's back. Uh, I don't, you know, he, he is still going to be somewhat team lock, but part of me feels like saeed has got to know. I got to keep lock close because, uh, this, this dude's dangerous as hell. And if we just try to do something rash, it's probably going to go poorly. Um, but I think if he's not all the way back, then I think that Saeed at least returning is something that's very much happening here.
2: And so that is one of the things I do think that, again, while there are some tremendous things in this episode, there's something that this episode fails to live on, I think, substantially, which is there are, in the pursuit of kind of rushing things along with this pulse-pounding, emotionally-driven content, I think there are some character beats that unfortunately we miss out on that we kind of have to fill in the blanks on. I'll mention them a few times over the course of this episode, but I think one of them is Said swing back over when he pulls the full Anakin, right? And sort of, uh, you know, symbolically throws Palpatine over the rail. Uh, you know, maybe much like Palpatine, he's going to end up being resurrected later on. But th- this idea that, like we said, you know, it seems like he had this conversation with Saeed, uh, with Desmond last episode. It seemed to shock him back to the person that he was. And now he is sort of like playing both sides in a way that's fantastic for us to headcanon. Man, I would have loved to see that transition happen. Yep, yep. Uh, we 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 got the the scene with John Loki last week where he lies about Desmond being dead. We have this scene right here, which, as you said, is two lines, and then we have him in the sub, and that's basically it. And I do think for a curtain call for a character like this, especially to show a uh, highlight a moment of redemption, uh, you know, if it was so much good, then bad, 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 bad for the majority of season six, and then back to good, I would have really liked to see a bit more of that home. Stretch. Yeah, I think that that's
4: totally fair. Uh, I think that this is something that we've been talking about a lot is the pacing, uh, the Charlie pacing of the final season. And, uh, you know, this uh, this this email should have been a meeting. Uh, and I think that a lot of things that are going to happen in a lot of things that happened over the last couple of episodes would have been great to have littered throughout the season so we could really spend more time with the characters and their motivations. Um, but I think that they save a lot so that when the submarine explodes and we lose the people that we lose, that it feels painful and sudden and unfair. And all of that stuff is highly effective. Uh, would I trade that for a fuller, more complete final season? As I mentioned before, with would I trade the sideways stuff that's really beautiful for all of that? Yes, I do think I would. Um, but this is what we get. And so what we get is highly effective, but is far from being above uh, reproach. And I think that you are uh, right to point out that there are some beats that feel like they're missing. Um, I guess we're not quite there yet, but we're about to be in the cages. The candidates are getting thrown into the cages and Seamus is pulling the gun and Sawyer takes the gun. And Widmore says, I'll kill Kate.
2: Uh, yeah, and- oh, Alan Dale. I'm going to admit, Alan Dale looks so doofy in this scene. Like, so, uh, like, he's you said, wearing soy- this khaki jacket that looks a lot like there was an old man in my
4: hometown who would walk <laughs> around the the hometown and he was called the, like, the walker. Uh, everyone knew who the oh, walker wow. was. Uh, and he had, like, the khaki jacket would just always be walking everywhere, always walking, just constantly walking. Uh, and uh, Widmore looks like the walker, which is a yeah. weird look. Uh, well, he's wearing least.
2: this weird outfit, but he also, like, so, so short takes the gun from seamus which again shame on you seamus for just like completely getting unarmed by sawyer and he like awkwardly fires the gun in the air i guess to acknowledge his presence and does this almost like waddle walk over to kate to hold her hostage which has been done for the umpteenth time to the point where you could see evangeline lily roll her eyes as kate is being taken hostage where she's like uh again this is not gonna work it's absolutely fine. Uh, we'll find out later from Sawyer's perspective. Maybe it's not exactly fine. But yeah, listen, in a season that uses Charles Woodmore very oddly, uh, Alan Dale, I think, is more of a villainous force when he's, you know, the guy behind the chair in the office, less so the man in the khaki jacket pointing a gun at somebody yeah
4: i think so so he's you know gonna convince sawyer to drop the gun her name's not on the wall uh seamus punches sawyer i hate this guy i'm so excited for him to die uh
2: and they we gotta go faster. we gotta work faster he's coming are, are you surprised that zoe considering that again apparently woodmore thinks that zoe and seamus are the only two people capable of doing anything on this island that zoe did not help with this whatsoever she took a day off
4: yeah, no, they just needed to give the actor a break. They're like, You're gonna get a lot of hate for this role. Let's just give you one more thing to do and then we'll we'll call it. Uh we're not ready yeah. to get rid of you uh, right now, but
2: I don't understand so are they setting up a new fence or did they move the fence? If they moved the fence, why? Why don't they just set it up around the perimeter instead of having to move it in closer to the base? I don't know why we're trying to justify their actions at all. Who knows? Uh, Who knows? Thing- these, are, these are the people that are going to shoot at the smoke monster. Yeah. Not once, what twice? When multiple times, it is proven that that does literally nothing. Yeah.
4: I think we're finally debuting LVP points for the Widmore Goons this week, right? Uh, I think it is official. They really earn it this time. We've been hitting Seamus and Zoe, and not that we're not going to hit those two again as their uh, time starts to wrap up, but we got to take a chance to, to actually hit the Widmore Goons because they're so horrible, and this episode really exemplifies why.
2: Yeah, and lord knows they can't hit anything else so we no, might as well hit they, them they truly can't
4: um all right in the sideways jack comes to uh a dr nadler uh he has uh bernard uh, in uh john locke's patient files as locke's dentist from three years ago and man sam anderson just plays bernard with a wink and a smile this man is awake uh,
2: yeah oh 100 percent right he's like the Oh, you know, I hope you find what you're looking for. This, uh, it really does play onto like, especially when, uh, you know, Bernard talks about remembering what happened three years ago, right? Because Jack's like, how do you remember this information about Anthony Cooper? And basically, I think that really plays into this idea of no matter when it happened, this is the most important part of your life. So of course you're going to remember it. It, yeah, the way Sam Anderson plays it, I would 100% think he was given the direction of, like, you know, and they don't know. We should also mention that Jack walks in on Bernard, essentially filing down uh, some fake teeth. Saw the Drillman
4: call out, I'm assuming? Uh, I was thinking that he was doing this for Count Jacula, so that Count Jackula could blend in with the normies when it's not Halloween.
2: Oh, uh, so you think he, instead of people wearing fake vampire teeth during Halloween, he wears of veneers yeah. of realty te- of yes. like the normal teeth yes. so that he appears human yes i do think that that's it yes it is me <laughs> yeah uh mr Jacula. yeah
4: count jackula is my brother uh, uh, yes i hate that guy oh i'm a normal <laughs> human i'm a tax attorney oh wow a tax attorney you sure that's not taxidermy Oh no, no, no! I don't touch this stuff. I'm a vegetarian. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yes, I tear the shit out of a stalk of celery. <laughs> wow! Oh my god, uh, that's very interesting. I never would have guessed that about you, Count Jacula. Uh, Mister Jacula, please, please stop mistaking uh, sorry, me for my brother. Sorry, sorry. sorry. Uh, yes, my name is Marty Jacula. I assume Marty Jacula, <laughs> Marty. I assume that that's a V8 you're drinking
2: oh absolutely i slapped my forehead because i realized i could have had one and i drink it by the caseful i've got a fridge full of them yeah wow that uh... so many types too a b i just label them a b and o for no particular reason Uh, those are my three favorite letters marty jackula loves those three letters of the alphabet yeah V v815 exactly thank you very much <laughs> oh my God. uh yeah so yeah so i mean bernard's great here uh you know, a little shady right jack essentially asks him hey can you tell me about this page he's like well dr patient confidentiality there is this one guy who i also happen to treat at the exact same time that you might want to find out about and this yeah. very much is out of the desmond camp right in a much less uh, salacious way of Okay, I'm gonna lead you, nudge you in a certain direction without necessarily breaking my job
4: totally uh so i i really do like this from from bernard a lot uh and i kind of love how he is the one who's big why are you so interested in Locke if he knows you know because he has seen enough of the jack versus lock stuff so he's like what do you need to close the book on this is interesting to me uh so i just I, I love the way that this whole thing plays and good luck doc i hope you find what you're looking for it's just a nice bit of kindness from this guy who i read it as he
2: knows what's going on um, it should also be noted that you know there is certainly a question of the course of this episode of like how do people remember their flight numbers uh, so Josh it's my headcanon that I think Bernard is unfortunately banned from Oceanic Airlines uh, after he covered the bathroom in piss during the turbulence of the oh, experience at LA SpaceX uh, he essentially has like his Polaroid up on the wall and is banned from any Oceanic plane so of course that's going to be you know ground into his gray memory
4: yeah uh, that's a that's a nightmare uh, what you just said uh, <laughs> so let's go back to Hyde high- Island. Let's get filled in on the plan of where things are going to go. This is a great Jack and Locke episode, but how about a Jack and Loki scene? Let's listen in. Sound two. What happened?
5: There was a mortar attack. With most people fired on us, Locke saved you. Not the rest of your group what happened to them the ones who weren't killed scattered into the jungle it's just the three of us now why did he bring me here
1: because your friends got themselves captured and now we're gonna have to rescue them rescue them from what Widmore has him in the cage about a half mile inland why would he you know I would ask him except I don't think he's gonna give me a straight answer but I can't imagine that his intentions are good. If we move right now, we can break your people out, run for the plane, and be off this island before Whitmore knows what hit him. They're not my people. And I'm not leaving the island. Well, Jack, I'm hoping you still change your mind about that. But your friends do want to leave. And since they just ran away from me on my own boat, I'm gonna need your help convincing them that they can trust me. Why should I trust you? Because I could kill you, Jack, right here, right now. And I could kill every single one of your friends. And there's not a thing that you could do to stop me. But instead of killing you, I saved your life and now I want to save them too. So will you help me?
2: I could kill you. Yeah. Uh, now I'll kill you. That's what. That's essentially what <laughs> Locke was saying you. to Jack. Yeah, I, I could kill. It. I mean, listen. The lie detect. The lie detector test determined that was a lie. But he's posturing in this moment, right? It, it's yet another con that this man is pulling off. I want to flash back briefly to the beginning. Of the scene, because it is mentioned by Saeed, right? That all of the temple others that were remaining sort of just like scattered to the winds, those that survive So, those of you that are maybe on a dead kid watch and were wondering what happened to Zach and Emma, I do believe the Lost Encyclopedia says that Cindy and the kids survived the mortar attack and just became part of Hurley's entourage once he became leader of the island. So, don't worry. No off-screen death for these poor kids that have been through so much over the past few years. They're okay. Zach's have will live to see another day.
4: That would be a serious LVP point to the writers, as well as, unfortunately, to Cindy, Zach, and Emma. Uh, so uh, I'm glad that that is uh, the case, that they are still alive. Uh, we will see them again in Lost 2. Um Obviously, great stuff from Terry Quinn doing his best, but I am already at this point a little exhausted with the "trust me, trust me" stuff, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, everybody giving him all of these chances and all of the back talk and the lying. Um, it's a little, it's a little exhausting at this moment in time, and feels just like filler as well at this moment, especially because it's just going to be completely reversed by the end of the episode. Um, but you mm. know, it's kind, it's kind of whatever. I mean, I think that we need to. I don't know if we need to, but part of the thing that happens here is Jack and Loki get some time to spend together so that when they are in such opposition by the end of the show, um, it has a little bit of backstory. Because otherwise, Jack's relationship with the smoke monster, it's White Rabbit and a few encounters here and there, but these two are not, like, arch enemies, you know? Right. This is
2: not a Ben and Winmore situation. You bring up a really good point that I, I didn't even think about, but it really is, the final part of this season especially from the John Loki perspective it really is almost survivor-esque right where people are lying to each other but the other person knows that person is lying but they're fine using them right I feel like we get that so much from Sawyer especially in this episode here we get it from Jack where you think that Jack believes John Loki that he can't kill him but Jack knows that he's lying so it's almost like I don't know, an overwhelming amount of a 4D chess happening that I agree, especially considering a lot of these same beats that we have hit with that character over and over again. It helps that it's with a different character in the form of Jack and helps, you know, flesh out that relationship, but the beats themselves are maybe getting a bit trite.
4: Yeah, I think that they are. Um This is the trite stuff in the cages we were talking about a little bit earlier. Uh, There's Sawyer and Kate once again. Oh, I can't believe we're back in the cages. So you want to do it? Should we just do it? And Sawyer telling Kate, he would have killed you. Your name was crossed off on the cave and you didn't even have a cool number.
2: So like you definitely are expendable here. I I really like the line, though. He doesn't need you, Kate, because I do wonder. I don't think Sawyer meant this, but like that can almost be a double entendre for Aaron. No. Uh, I'm sure that Kate certainly has that idea in her head of sort of leaving Aaron behind in place of Claire. That the he, in this case, much like we talked about in the season three finale as to who is that he, the he could apply to a lot of people in Kate's life.
4: Yes. Uh, so I think that she probably receives that, uh, you know, in more eye rolling fashion at this point in time. Um, Jin and Sun have the moment where they're talking about G.E. and how Sun still has Jin's ring. And so they're having this moment together you were mentioning um that this play is sort of uh this is a little slight for you is the Jim yeah. and sun scene
2: all right here's here's my hot take I love the Quans but I feel like I feel like Yunjin Kim and DDK do not access that incredible chemistry between the two characters unfortunately until their final scene in yeah. the submarine I think between what we talked about the with the reunion last week and here it feels I don't know, a little stale to me. And it's (laughs) it's sad to say, but like, it's odd that these two people are just again, reuniting after three years together. And they're just sort of sitting there being like, it's good to see you. Here is your ring. I think the passion with which the two embrace each other in the submarine are under very different circumstances. But like, I think that's what I wanted to see all the other times that these two reunited, considering how much they've been drawn together.
4: Yeah, I think so as well. Uh there's just there is for me a little bit of a spark that's missing here. I wonder how much of that has to do with the fact that they've barely worked together for 2 years <laughs> at this point. Um I hope that the rehearsals, I mean they do bring it back for uh for the for the finale of course and also for the for the climax of this episode. Um but right now and last time when they when they reunited in the last recruit a little well, thin did for me yeah. as well um, part of it is I think you know they they, uh, they it's truly I think the speaks English piece of it that that's you know for Jin and Son. so much of, of uh, the, the joy of watching those two in the early going of the show was seeing them speak Korean with each other um, and Jin has just learned it all I feel like they're only speaking in English in this scene Mike because uh, Jin learned it and now they can do that you know and now it's convenient Mm. and they don't need to resort to subtitles i think that they're missing something i think that they're missing how these two would actually be communicating with each other but i don't know uh that's that's projection and there's a big piece of me that has no idea what he's talking about anyway
2: but i mean this is going to be a big sticking point right because let's remember that they use this scene to emphasize jin being like oh yes i saw our daughter our daughter back home which People certainly keep in mind when he makes a certain decision later on in this episode. Yeah, Yep. Yeah, of
4: course. Absolutely. Um, The power goes out uh, and all the Widmore goons start freaking out, including Seamus, as the monster shows up and Seamus tries to shoot the smoke monster.
2: <sighs> did, did Charles Widmore not give like a dossier or like a TED talk of, hey, this thing is smoke don't shoot at the smoke thing. Three years ago, I sent a bunch of mercs to try to do this, and they couldn't. They all got their shit wrecked. Please, whatever you do, don't do that. I I have no idea, given Charles Winmore's leadership, most likely, but... Yep, all these guys know how to do is just shoot at the Smoke Monster when they see it, and no uh, no surprise, they absolutely get wrecked, including yeah. Seamus here. Death via concussive prison bars.
4: Yeah, Smoke Monster just tosses Seamus into the cages, and the force kills Seamus. Uh, automatic LVP point to Sheamus for dying automatic mvp point to the smoke monster for killing seamus <laughs> you uh, wipe them all.
2: well didn't didn't we also kind of do that with sundown right of like thank you for wiping yes, the temple people thank off the you. map
4: thank you <laughs> thank you uh that takes <laughs> on new meaning uh and so kate goes to reach for the keys because it's a panic and it's a nightmare but jack shows up he gets the keys he lets them out i'm with yeah, but, but frank
2: lapidas did try his best right he was trying to like kick kick the door down and bust in you know 21 jump street style
4: yes uh so they all leave um in broad daylight uh they're on their way towards the ajira plane jack's once again reiterating i'm just here to rescue you guys but i'm not here to go i'm not meant to leave uh sawyer who kicked jack off the boat is kind of you know a little mea culpa of i'm sorry about that i appreciate that you came back this is nice nice of you to come back
2: we're the weird sawyer episodes continue right because like it almost is like repeating the same cycle as sawyer says in the cages right we go around in circles we find ourselves back in the same place we're like now he's trusting of Jack, but now he has his own plan that he's going to try to bring Jack in on. and It's going to be a failure of a plan. So Sawyer's basically said, like, okay... This plan failed, but now I've got like almost a deviation, a corollary to my original plan. We're like, yeah, maybe duping Winmore is not necessarily in the cards, but I still want to get onto the sub. Yes, Uh, so we uh, see Saeed show back up. Uh,
4: There's a little bit of trepidation around Saeed right now because he's been with Locke, and he still is, even though he turned off the generators. He's with us, but is he? People aren't entirely sure.
2: And Um, it should be noted here that this is the first time since... The beginning of the end, the season four premiere, that basically this group of survivors from 815, everyone who's left is together yeah ever since then whether it's separation physically on the island through off island stuff through time travel everyone has been scattered to the winds but the winds have blown everyone back together and for this brief portion of time they will be like hey remember the good old days when it was you know us that guy was not actually that guy uh he was a different person but like otherwise it's like the gang's back together
4: In the sideways, Jack comes to see Anthony Cooper and Helen is here. And she's like, listen, you're a nice guy. You saved John's life. He doesn't want the operation. Uh, But you saved him. Why isn't that enough? And Jack, sideways Jack, saying, that's not enough. I need to let him know, you know I need him to know, that's what it is that's what he wants, I need him to know that I did uh, everything that I could, that he was right, he needs to know he was right and he needs to know that I knew he he was right, he needs this I need this, you know, there's a lot of baggage that's going on with, with uh, Jack and Locke here, I think mm-hmm. um, but obviously the big headline of this scene is that here in the sideways, in this world between worlds, Anthony Cooper is here, but he's in this vegetative state. You know, he can't talk, he can't move. Um he seems to be uh you know loved by Locke
2: and Helen in this. Yeah, world. He, call, like, he calls them, I think Locke calls him like the most important man in my life. It's not wrong. I mean, yeah, uh, importance certainly has an absolute value. But there's there's a lot of fun reversals in this episode. Like, for example, in the original timeline, Anthony Cooper is first-handedly responsible for Locke's condition. In this case, uh, Locke's responsible for Anthony Cooper's condition. But the choice is so intriguing, right? Because, again, if we go back to this idea of the creative, collaborative story that The Flash Sideways is for our group of 815ers here, you know... The Locke obviously sort of shunting the blame onto himself, I think shows that Locke at his person, at his essence is still a bit of a self-destructive person and that like, there probably was some catharsis saying, yeah, my dad who was a smooth talker, the fact that he can't talk anymore is due justice, that he's essentially stuck trapped in his mind for the rest of his life. But Locke still saddles himself with the blame, right? So it's, it's like he can't have a great, perfect thing in his life there always has to be some sort of caveat attached because that was john Locke's life throughout his time yeah um so i i think
4: you know the fact that cooper is is stuck this way sort of the monster he's stuck this way uh is fascinating to me Um, and what that means for him, but also the fact that Locke and Helen uh, both seem to have, I think maybe it's more a measure of their own, the depths of their own empathy and goodwill. You know, that they don't need anything from this guy. He does not need to be the one that shows them that uh, he loves them, and he was wrong, and he's seen the error of his ways. I think it's, you know, for Locke's own healing he just needs a father, uh, but I think that mm. he would have a hard time, um, you know, uh, kind of uh, parroting the the words through whatever facsimile of Anthony Cooper this guy is. Uh, but it's just it's always been interesting to me that he that he loved Cooper in the afterlife. Um, I've never quite gotten a, to a really good place with why, um, but that might
2: speak to something more <laughs> internal that I got to talk oh. to my therapist about. Uh, I don't know though, because because I think that. That again, if you ask John Locke, you know, if you had this perfect life, what would you dream for yourself? I think some part of it would be, I want a good relationship with my dad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Right? Like that is what made him much like in a Jack fashion, right? Where you have Locke following Anthony Cooper to the point where Anthony Cooper pulls him aside and is like, back the F off. Uh, You know, I, I think that that's probably one of the biggest things for Locke to check off in that moment, is this idea of, this is a man that ruined my life in so many ways, and the reason why I kept coming back to him is because I just wanted a dad, someone who I never had in my life, in general. I I do wonder if that's something that he would want to give himself, but again, in true Locke fashion, there's a cruel twist of irony that happens of like, great, you have your dad back, but now he's catatonic and it's all your fault. Um,
4: Back on the island, uh, John John Loki comes up to a Jira and the Widmore goons try to shoot the smoke monster again. And so he just ruthlessly kills them very quickly. (laughs) He breaks one dude's neck. He takes his gun and then pops the other guy. Um, And then he takes a wristwatch off of one of the people and he goes onto the airplane and he sees all these wires and he leads the wires all the way to the source. And it is a bomb. Mike, uh, is this episode the bomb?
0: Uh Um,
4: oh wait can i take that back i have a better joke here we go I'm do. Gonna, yeah here we go uh bomb in the ajira plane there How's we that? go yeah got i mean it, listen got we
2: it. we are approaching springsteen <laughs> week next week so i think oh, it's, a, yeah. it's a good warm-up I mean, that's on you right no that's on you buddy is, is i took season, i took i took season five okay. uh when you should have so like it's you're you're the candidate okay okay all right I you know. Good luck following up on bombing the rats and <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best. I'll do my best. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so I realized that this is one of the only the things that I realized watching it through this time around. The irony of all ironies that a watch is going to lead to the destruction. Of Sun and Jin, considering the significance that it had since the beginning of the show. I I don't know if they intended that to happen or if they just like, oh, locks, you know, John Loki's gonna MacGyver a situation, but. I, I think I think the the symbology of the watch is actually really apt for the Quans in so many ways.
4: There are there are some ways in which um, this is this is calling back to season one. I think uh, in in ways that are good. Um, the watch being something that's so totemic of the Jin and Sun storyline, I had never considered until you brought it up. And I think that's a great observation. Um, I had never really given too much thought either that it's a callback to um, Saeed's on-the-fly inventiveness as well, Mm. right? You know, he can, you know, season one is studded with moments of Saeed doing Survivor MacGyver stuff, uh, and here uh, he's going to be taken out by something that was Survivor MacGyvered. And for John Loki, if we accept that the smoke monster, that attributes of the people that he takes on, glom on to the smoke monster, then perhaps even one of the reasons why John Locke was such an attractive candidate for him was because this is somebody whose uh, knowledge was so vast. He could build a trebuchet, you know. He knew mm-hmm. how to build an, Im- uh, an improvised explosive device, use a <laughs> <He> cigarette.
2: false-seen <laughs> news stories from Michelangelo and amputees who climb Mount Everest. You know, he knows he knows so
4: much about so many things. He knows a little bit about a lot, at the very least. And so mm-hmm. uh, you know, somebody who said anyone who watches enough TV knows how to uh, you know delay a, a bomb. Uh, so you imagine that John Locke would have been able to figure this one out as well, uh, so I think that there are ways in which uh, characters from season one are all coalescing around uh, around this moment.
2: I want to focus on the watch for a second, uh, just because you know the more I thought about it, the more I realized that Jin and Sun's story just can be symbolized in that watch in so many ways. Not only obviously that you know uh it was involved in House of the Rising Sun as a, as you know why jin attacks michael and nearly kills him and the purpose with which uh they were going to america but also the fact that you know they were delivering two watches those watches got separated much like jin and son who came in as a pair uh, and were separated for the majority of their time even, like, looking at the concept of a watch, right, time is the entire function of the watch. This is a couple that was separated via time for so many parts uh, of the latter half of loss. They were separated by an entire time stream. Or even just getting into, like, uh, you know, the, the hoity-toity English major of it all. Uh, a watch itself has two hands, right? Three if you're fancy with the second hands, but there's an hour hand and a minute hand, and one often moves faster than the other, and they only meet up only a couple of times, uh, you know, every hour, it seems. And that is sort of the journey of Jin and Sun, right? Even going all the way back to season two, they spent a significant to- amount of time separated, and a lot of the storyline of the Quans are them being separated, trying to find those moments when the hands coalesce and they find their way back to each other and when they do it passes and then it's over
4: Oh man, that's really really good. I hate it. It's so good. Uh <laughs> it makes me so sad. I, I really don't like that, but that's really good analysis, Mike. Um man, now I'm now I'm real bummed out. Anyway, okay. Well, everyone's coming <laughs> yeah, no, to the No plane. one ever buy a watch again cuz now you just look at the quants every time you look at it. <laughs> yeah, oh man. Uh, so uh, this is what they all come to the plane and John Locke is like, "Yeah, they were going to blow us up." Uh Whitmore knew I'd kill these men. It was just for show they were guarding the plane. They wanted us on the plane. So <sighs> (sighs) That we could be in a tight space so they could kill us with a bomb. And by the way, now I would love it if you all got on a submarine. So I could kill you with a bomb. This is
2: against that sort of like 60 chest stuff, right? Like, well, they don't know that we know that they know.
4: It's tiring. It's tiring at this point. It's tired. I'm asleep. Um, And it's also, you know, a little tiring that Sawyer is once again being like, well, Locke, I was wrong about you. That's twice you saved our asses. And then he's going to, in the next breath, say to Jack, Jack, I know you're staying. I need a favor. I need you to make sure that thing doesn't get on the sub. I still don't trust
2: him. Jack, I was playing pretend. I crossed my fingers when I was saying it. Yeah. The only
4: thing that I guess I kind of like about it is I think that with Locke and Sawyer, uh, I think that uh, the way that Loki plays it, it's like he knows that Sawyer knows. There's There seems to be a little bit of that vibe of when Sawyer says, that's twice you saved your, our asses. And Loki kind of looks at him and smiles. Thanks, James. It's my pleasure. I'm gonna blow you up in five minutes, and you probably <laughs> suspect that I'd like to do that. But there's not gonna be much that you can do to stop me. Like there, there's a little bit of that glint in a in a nod, um, but not enough. Uh, I'm I'm pretty mm. tired of this stuff at this point in time. So um,
2: we should also mention in this scene again. It's really brief, but something I noticed that there's a moment when you know they all agree now to, to sort of go onto the next plan, which is the sub. Hurley speaks up in this moment and says, now, now, wait a minute, shouldn't this dude not be leaving the island? And that really caught me off guard, Josh, considering that everybody loves Hugo, right? This entire thing was Richard Alpert saying, we can't let him leave the island if he does pandemonium, and Hurley's like, ah, it's fine, we gotta meet Locke if we wanna leave the island. And now he has misgivings. This is another one of those character beats that I feel like, had we spent more time with the two groups coming together at this pseudo-merge from last week, I think there could have been more time to have, you know, Hurley observe John Loki because he doesn't know the dude. Like, now he finally gets to realize him, maybe begins to realize that Richard Alpert was right and begin to have regrets as to joining up with him. It was an odd, out-of-nowhere moment for me that, again, was small, but I think symbolized a bit of a heel turn for Hurley from a couple episodes ago.
4: Man, uh, I just got, I I sort of started uh, envisioning this alternate universe season six, where all of the, the action is sort of in in conversation with season one in the sense of every character, they're basically on the same beach, so we get them there together really early on. Many different stories that emerge from these characters. You cut out the temple, you cut out the separation part of it. Maybe you even have it so that People don't know that John Locke is the smoke monster. And so you can play a little bit with the expectations of, yeah, I came back to life. Isn't that crazy? You guys all got to do what, I, what I'm going to tell you because I've got some stuff that you got to listen to. Uh, and maybe the audience knows, but the characters don't. Uh, I miss, I don't know. There's there's a lot of stuff that, I, I mean, I guess it's kind of fun in some ways that you get to still just think about what could have been. Uh, it's one of the ways in which these characters get to live with you forever.
2: You put that out last week, right? And we'll continue to establish it that I think we're in our season six feedback. So maybe we'll tar- try our hands a little bit at uh, restructuring or replotting some of season six. And if you all have ideas out there as hatchlings, feel free to write them in because it's a, a bounty of things that could have happened in this season. A
4: bounty, indeed. Claire apologizes a lock, Locke doesn't mind. Sawyer tells Jack, get the thing in the water. I'll take care of the rest. Um, in the sideways, uh, Jack is still watching over Locke. Locke is saying, push the button. I wish you'd believe me under his breath. Yeah,
2: it, it's also interesting. Jack is in his, I would say in his civvies, but is, you know, still Jack, so he's still fancy dressed up, right, with like a shirt and a jacket. But I think this also further symbolizes his relentless pursuit right when he first regarded Locke, he was in his scrubs he was on the job my takeaway from this scene is that he is off the clock but the fact that he is still dropping in on this guy and still trying to solve this mystery shows how jack is someone that will relentlessly dedicate all of his waking hours and maybe some of his sleeping ones to solving something
4: Yes, uh, to solving the drill, man. Um, so <laughs> Claire's gonna come along. Uh, they have a little bit of a moment with each other. There's some locked box, uh, with Claire's name all over it. This is just, you know, mostly a moment where they get to, you know, connect and share some stories and, uh, you know, how, how did our father die and, you know, getting some close, some measure of closure there. Um, that they get the music box with Catch a Falling Star. Mm. Uh, and, uh, Jack doesn't know why Christian would have wanted her to have this, um, but he also extends the offer, stay with me and my son, we're not strangers, we're family. And this is another one of those, if we weren't going to get it in the island text, which is still my preference, but we don't really get it other than last week, then at the very least we do get these moments of, you know, a part of Jack when he died, uh, really wished that he'd been able to connect more, uh, with the sister he never knew was his <laughs> sister. Uh, and so them getting a moment here and a little bit in the, in the, the, the time to come still on the show of, uh, the two of them as family. It, it is nice to see, uh, you know, this yeah. is what we get. So as far as what we get, even if what we get is not necessarily what I would have wanted, I'm, I'm glad of it because I think that the emotion here is really strong.
2: It's a little live together, die alone aspect, right? That Jack was banding together this group of strangers that did become its weird sort of perverted island family in a way. And also, to be clear, f- fair from Claire's perspective, you know, she's a regular Blanche Dubois in L.A. so far. She has really dependent on the kindness of strangers between Kate helping her, Desmond helping her, now Jack helping her. On paper, yes, stranger danger. Do not accept offers to stay at people's houses but at the same time you know she has she's three for three right now and getting very nice offers from these people and so i guess good on her for taking it and i do agree that like this is better than nothing but man when we cut out of this and it cuts to separate shots of jack and claire just standing on the dock waiting for the sub i'm like ah missed opportunity yep man, it would have been nice to have at least some sort of jack Claire exchange on the island after this. It would have linked up so well.
4: Yeah, I agree. Um, we are now going to the dock, uh, and all of this goes down, right? The the rushing of the sub, taking the storm hostage, uh, Jack versus Locke, and the little
2: backpack
4: switcheroo.
2: Yeah, and, and, and that's one of those fun things, right? Like, you don't... If you notice it, it happens. If you don't, you don't, because there's so much going on. Uh, and there's this little repartee where again jack's part of the plan is listen doc you don't need to get onto the sub but like make sure he doesn't and we have a little bit of like a preview of the back and forth that we'll experience in the finale right where john locke says uh you know jack you should reconsider going, the person who told you you need to stay has no idea what they're talking about, and Jack t- retorts, John Locke told John me to Locke stay. John Locke told me
4: to stay. And then he and knocked him, him into the water. Yep.
2: Fatality. Fatality. Uh, though I do wonder, so Sawyer's plan was just, knock him in the water and I'll take care of the rest, is the assumption that John Loki would just take an extraordinarily long time to get out of the water? I
4: think that there are some theories that Smokey can't operate within the water, uh, and you know, maybe Sawyer figures that because Smoke Monster couldn't just smoke Monster over to Hydra Island, uh, so maybe that the water is bad for Loki. Um, They they don't really explore this in a big way, but when Terry O'Quinn gets out of the water and onto the dock, it is, you know, like he's covered in molasses, right? Like that's Mm. sort of the energy that he's just uh, covered in sticky goo, and he cannot he cannot move.
2: Well, maybe it is, you know, the thing about water molecules, right, is, like, they reverberate at a slower pace. That's why, like, if you fire a bullet into the water, it moves at much lesser of a speed. Maybe it's, like, a, to do with the density of molecular vibration. Could that be. That the smoke monster can move through the air because those air particles are fairly regular. But because things vibrate so slowly underwater, he just has a tougher time moving through it. It could be. Uh Kate gets shot. She gets shot badly. Not that
4: there's a she, great way to get shot, but she gets shot, and it's a shock. When is when is a sh- when is a shot also a shock? Now, yeah, I know this is a time.
2: Danny Pickett's uh, ghost lives <laughs> through the cages and through the shot and shock as well. She gets freaking nailed, yeah. by one of these G- Widmore goons that actually hit something. And it's interesting, right? Because so John Loki's plan was to get Jack in that sub, obviously, right? Because he switched out the packs. So clearly, he must have known that there would have been some reason why Jack would have gone into the sub. Either he convinces him, or because Jack has such a capacity to save people, he would have to bring Kate down there and treat her. And it's such an interesting choice for Jack to make as well, right? This is the guy who has swore up and down the past two episodes to the point where he jumped off the boat. I'm not doing this. My destiny is to stay here on the island. And he does forgo his destiny temporarily to go help Kate. Right. And so it does show that despite Jack being on this new path since he's returned to the island, there are still parts of Jack Shepard that cannot be filed down like Bernard's teeth. (laughs) And in this case, that's one of them is his ability to save people. His urgency to save Kate's life took precedence over the fact that he felt he had to stay on the island. And so I think just purely by instinct, he ends up bringing her onto the sub and the sub dives with him on it.
4: I think that the show would argue that um, destiny wins out in this moment and that destiny was people, right? You know, uh, I think that mm. the, the, the final revelation of what The Sideways is, the place you made together, that uh, Jack is fulfilling his destiny by caring for the people uh, and putting them before whatever he thinks it is that he needs to wait for. I think that he's actually doing the thing that he's looking for. Maybe just doesn't doesn't quite know it um sawyer screams for claire to come she doesn't in time because loki stands in between them uh so sawyer is
2: it, wait is he standing between them or is he more so in the background because i think it's just from what my read is just sawyer like looks at it, tries to do the mental math of like he'll probably take a, a, a quick time to get rid of us and you know what i haven't been that in on claire anyway bye yeah
4: it's a pretty easy choice he closes the door they submerge claire is upset but loki has never looked happier it's been a long long Time since we've seen him like this, and he's just, Oh, don't worry, you do not want to be on that sub. Uh, <laughs> do when we not were ta- go in there. Yeah, when we were talking before, it's kind of like when, uh, when, uh, what's his face is the is revealed as the ghost face killer in Scream. Oh, yeah, um, Matthew Lillard, yeah, yeah, Matthew Lillard and the the Skeet Ulrich character as mm-hmm. well. It's just this moment of, Oh, I can breathe. By the way, I guess Scream spoilers, but that is completely on you at this point, is my feeling. And, on and that's
2: that. when, you know, Clay stabs jl right They're like all right let's do this yeah. uh, and the corn syrup comes right. out i'm yeah, feeling I, a little will, woozy here <laughs> <laughs> i will say it is i i thought actually emily draven uh, underacted this moment surprisingly like i if i were her and i would think that my only chance of leaving the island had left without me after all these feelings of abandonment and being assuaged that that was not the case like I thought she would have a mental breakdown, especially considering her state, but I feel like she kind of underplayed it. It's, it's undone anyway by the fact that Loki's like, hey, don't worry about it, but I would say a surprisingly subdued reaction from... It was more so Claire was reacting to like, she had just ran to the bus stop and the bus took off without her. That was yeah. her reaction of being like mildly miffed instead of, oh my god, I'll never see my son again.
4: What? The final season making mistakes with Claire? Hmm. I know. Uh, new
2: ground we are trudging on here.
4: So uh, they're inside the submarine. Kate does not want to leave without claire it's way too late jack also did not want to leave it's a little late for that as well jack needs a first aid kit from his backpack for kate's gunshot wound Jin goes to the backpack and alas it is not jack's backpack it is the bomb
2: alas it is not alas it also it should also be noted here that uh hurley could not find the first aid kit but if you cut to the various shots of frank lapidas holding the captain captive uh, it's right there So maybe if they had found it, they wouldn't have opened the backpack and things would have become very, very different.
4: Well, we're about to get into this. I think so. This is Jack saying Locke did. We did exactly what Locke wanted us to do. We're in the tight space. There's a bomb. He's going to blow us up. We're all going to die. It's the four minute countdown and everyone's going to have a different perspective on what to do here. So we're about to get into all of that. Uh, As you can imagine, we haven't played a ton of sounds. We're saving most of the sound work for right around now. Um, Let's listen into the initial debate and take this whole sequence, this 10-minute sequence, one of the most intense, uh, upsetting sequences in modern television that I can think of. Uh, We'll take it apart piece by piece, and let's begin with the debate over what to do about the bomb. Sound number three.
1: Dude, how'd that get on the sub i put it in my
0: pack. Why would he do that? He wanted to go with us. Damn, Ronnie did. That's why I shut his ass out. He
5: wanted you to shut him out. Any idea how that thing works? Can we turn it off? This watch is jury rigged to the battery. The battery detonates the explosives.
4: How much time do we're up, right
1: At least five minutes
5: we got five minutes. I'm just gonna be sorry. These wires, they're leads from the watch. If we disconnect them from the battery, technically speaking, the bomb should be inert. Technically. Yes, but you need to pull them out simultaneously, and I'm not sure. Step aside. No, wait, wait. What the hell are you doing, Doc? Nothing's gonna happen. What? Don't pull those wires out. We're okay. Nothing's gonna happen. If I don't pull these wires, Locke's gonna blow us to King's. No, Pol- he's not! Locke can't kill us uh what this is what he wanted this is what he's been waiting for everything that he has done has been to get us here he wanted to get us all in the same place at the same time a nice enclosed space where we had no hopes of getting out of i don't understand Locke said that he can't leave the island without us i think that he can't leave the island unless we're all dead he told me that he could kill any one of us whenever he wanted so what if he hasn't because he's he's not allowed to what if he's trying to get us to kill each other? Stay out of my way, Doc. No, if he wanted that thing to blow up, why would he put a timer in it? Why not
3: just throw it inside? I don't, don't care. Nothing is going to happen. It's not your decision to make. He can't kill us. I'm not going to stand here and do nothing. James.
5: We are going to be okay. You just have to trust me.
1: Sorry, Doc, I don't...
2: Before we get into all the meat of this scene, I just want to give a quick shout-out. If people haven't seen it before... There is a How It Should Have Ended, which back in the day, back yep. in the Wild West days of YouTube, uh, there was an old channel that existed that did like animated parodies of how certain movies should have ended. There was one for Lost Season 6 that essentially did like a parody of this scene, uh, but instead it was Frank Lapidus. They did it McGruber style, where it was Lapidus who was deconstructing the bomb. I encourage people to check it out, if only for, in my opinion, a pitch perfect impression of Sawyer. He says only one line, but the timbre of the voice and the delivery and the writing of it is fantastic. So if you want a little piece of like lost media at the time, be sure to check it out. I think it's still online.
4: Yeah, for what it's worth, it's still going. How it should have ended? Uh, they haven't stopped. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's still happening. Uh, how I mean, don't know if it
2: went the the way of like five second movies. Remember that with the uh, mm-hmm. with the bunnies? Yep. Yes,
4: yes, I do recall that. But I think how it should have ended is gonna uh, not be able to end until they end. Uh, they they do the how it should have ended video for how it should have ended. Uh, My God! Just to get rid of mother of God. So, everyone has a little bit, it's really mostly Jack and Sawyer have very conflicting views here. And it is very much, uh, in it, Jack is Locke and Sawyer is Jack energy of, uh, you know, Sawyer being so sure, uh, Jack also being so sure, but Jack articulating the faith argument and Sawyer articulating the, the, the reason, the science argument of, I don't believe that this is, you know, I believe if we do what Saeed tells us to do, cause Saeed knows this stuff uh that we'll be fine like i'll we'll we'll disarm the bomb and jack's like the bomb will will count down to zero and we'll be all we'll be fine it won't go off because he can't kill us in some ways i guess this is the mirror this is the marriage of of science and faith for jack right if he's trying to sort of reason out what the rules might be for the smoke monster and applying them to this belief that he feels that they're going to be all right um and I think you could certainly read this as if they listen to Jack, they survive. Uh, if they listen to Jack and they just let the thing count all the way down to zero, they make it. I think that that is the popular read on it, and I definitely see it 100%. Um, for me, I kind of feel like... They're probably both wrong. Uh, you know, maybe, <laughs> you know, Sawyer's clearly demonstrably proven wrong. And I think for Jack, uh, I think if Jack just does another one of those let's do nothing moments, I think that they probably blow up. I think that the move here is we got to get this thing as far away from here as humanly possible now and then, like, start action planning how we're going to get the hell out of the submarine. Uh, I think, like, that's probably the move. But I don't know. Do you have thoughts on how this all goes down?
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting in so many ways. First, talking about the pack switch in general, not only a stealthy move, a good sleight of hand check on John Loki's part, but also sort of a big burn on Jack, right? Considering Jack did the exact same thing to Kate in Exodus uh, when the smoke monster himself was dragging down John Locke, uh, Jack revealed that he had given a dummy pack to Kate. And so the fact that Loki was essentially using Jack's trick against him has to be extra insulting. But... There, it really could cut either way. I could honestly see a world where either th- these writers could either say, well, technically John Loki didn't kill the candidates. The bomb killed the candidates. Right. And so therefore, the bomb could kill them. Or, well, technically, because he had the bomb and the bomb had the like the, he had the intention of killing the candidates, he wasn't able to do it. That being said, I completely understand where Jack is coming from because And where Sawyer is coming from as well, because Jack saw what happened in the Black Rock, and Sawyer didn't. Right? Jack sat there with Richard Alpert while a stick of dynamite sat between the two men and watched it sizzle out due to the forces of the island that they were not supposed to die in that moment. And so I think it makes all the sense in the world. Like you said, it's almost like faith-based science from that perspective of, yeah, this is not exactly within the rules of logic, but it's within island logic, so therefore this should apply. Sawyer obviously did not see that, and so it would make absolutely no sense for him to just sit there and wait for a bomb to possibly go off. I really liked your suggestion of the happy medium of, like, get the bomb out someplace else, throw it out into the ocean, and then maybe we'll talk about what happens, but... As a result, you know, this is Sawyer, it's very reminiscent to me of Tabula Rasa, right? Where the conflict is, here is a man who is dying. Sawyer says, all right, well, all I have to do is just shoot him, and then we'll do it, put him out of his mystery. I'm doing what you can't do, Doc. And what happens? Sawyer misses the heart, and now Jack has to go do it himself and kill a man. Very similar vibes here, where Sawyer feels like he makes this gut decision, It doesn't work. Also very reminiscent of the end of season two, right in this position where Sawyer has it's it's weird, though, because Jack has the lock position of we can do nothing and nothing will happen. But then Sawyer's the one who essentially says, I was wrong, right, in, in what he ends up doing. So it, it's odd how Locke maps onto multiple characters here. And you can see on Josh Holloway's face, right, when he backs away from the bomb as it ticks down, like, he looks visibly pained. It's very clear he quickly realizes how much blood might metaphorically be on his hands as a result from his hastiness. Yeah. So the hastiness
4: costs us three people. Uh, and it begins with One. Sawyer has already pulled the cables. Let us pull the lever on sound number four.
5: Listen carefully. There's a well on the main island, half a mile south from the camp we just left. Desmond's inside it. Locke wants him dead, which means you're going to need him. Do you understand me? Why are you telling me this? Because it's going to be you, Jack. I... Hey! Hey.
2: Yeah. Here we are. This is the, the first major threshold I think we have to cross. We, we gotta talk about the Said of it all.
4: So, one of the things that is wild about this whole sequence is how fast and furious it goes down, that you don't there isn't even... <laughs> now, I'm just,
3: now I'm
2: just imagining when Jack said we're not strangers we're family. Now I'm imagining Dom Toretto saying that, know, I can't get is, it out of my head. There
4: isn't even, you know, a, there is no time to mourn Saeed yet, uh, but he has unequivocally exploded at this point in time. And the camera, you know, following Naveen Andrews' face in, and, and, you know, some quasi-slow motion during that. There's, a, you know, I don't know if, if it's peace. It's certainly, there's calm with Saeed here. Where there's res- resolve, resolve, I think is a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah, resolve. And I think that for Saeed, this is in many ways the man of action, the person who knows exactly what to do in this moment in time, that the only way to save the most amount of his friends right now is to get the bomb as far away from them as humanly possible, but there will be no way of doing that without somebody dying, and Saeed's not asking. He's just going to do it. It is, in many ways, a very Said raw way to die.
2: Yeah, I mean, even outside of the legacy of Said, which we'll certainly get into here, let's talk about it's going to be you, Jack. What do you make of that line? Is that... Saeed just having a good read of like Jack, you're the one to carry the ball to the end zone. Here is it because Saeed maybe got like connected a bit to the source of the island, as it were, in coming back to de- going to death and coming back again. That like he has an innate sense that Jack is going to be the one to help save the day. What did you make of what ends up being Saeed's final line in this mortal plane?
4: <laughs> yeah, I think that you know you're going to be the guy who protects this place. It's got to be you. You're going to be the one. You've been the. One for this whole time, and it's going to be you. And I think that, you know, do we get the scene necessarily where Saeed is, expl- okay, so here's the candidates, this is the wall, this is why your name has a number next to it. No, but, you know, he's been exposed to the Loki camp for long enough at this point that if Sawyer knows, I don't know why, we don't just imagine that Saeed might know. Doesn't? It's not a huge stretch for me to, to leap to Saeed thinking, Jack, you're going to be the one who arms up and goes up against the monster. It's going to be you. You need to get Desmond. You need to take care of this. I'll do my part my part starts and ends right now you got to carry the ball the rest of the line um that's how i've always taken it i've never really taken it as anything much deeper than that
2: i agree and i think you know again that also goes back to the fact that you know also maybe irony of ironies if we do ab- agree that jack's super cpr with the c was the thing to bring Said back to life it's almost like he has his own boom moment right to jack of like it's time to let me go. Yep. I'm going off here. Thank you for everything that you did. But yes, yeah, Saeed, in true MVP Saeed fashion, has an assessment of the situation, says, well, clearly John Loki wanted you dead, uh, wanted Desmond dead, which means that he's important. Jack, I've trusted you all these years. We've had our misgivings sometimes, but you can do it. I'm going the rest of the way. Uh, and, you know, it's it's a big I guess you could say heroic ending, albeit a rash one for a character that has spent the past little bit of time sort of lying in this purgatorial meh nest, but I guess now that we're we're through it, reflect to me, Josh, on specifically the Saeed season six arc before we get into his overall arc here. Like now it's been a a widely decried thing in season six, right? Zombie Saeed, as Sawyer put it last episode. Now that we have been through it episode by episode, Whatever your thoughts on it, is it better than you thought, worse than your thoughts, somewhere it's, in between?
4: It's definitely not worse than I thought. Um, it's not much better than I thought. Uh, I think that it is, it's, you know, it's definitely among the things for the final season that I wish was done better. Uh, and I think that, you know, a lot of just the time that we're spending with Saeed in the final season feels like either material that could have been more pronounced or material that did not necessarily have to happen at all. Um, But I think that there is something really beautiful to be taken away from the story of the guy who was told that you are evil and you are terrible and you're just a weapon to be pointed in the direction of the targets, uh, and that is that. And this person, you know, if not knowingly rejecting that, you know, with every, you know, standing up in defiance and, uh, you know, being I'm, I'm better than that. I'm not that. I don't think that he does that in this moment. But I think that his actions speak that. Uh, I think his actions here of I'm going to save my friends, and I know exactly how to do that. And I'm getting this away from them. Um, this, you know, final wake up that he gets to do. I do think that that's powerful. And I like that it's played in sort of an action packed, heroic way. I say that and I want to acknowledge uh, that this came our way from uh, the great Felipe uh, mm-hmm. some feedback uh, where Felipe said, I'm sure someone can discuss it more eloquently than I can, but I do think it's important to touch on the problematic imagery of Saeed's final moments in this episode. I love Lost, but Saeed's story doesn't always hold up. Um, I'm certainly not the right person to also speak, uh, you know, completely nope. uh, with uh, with authority on the subject matter. I will say that Saeed Jarrah was a groundbreaking character for so Many reasons. One of them being um, having this uh, heroic Iraqi man on television at a time where uh, America was at war uh, with Iraq, and such a, a horrible, horrible thing um, it was such a such an incredible, refreshing character and an important character in media, and to have that character uh, blow up you know, carry a bomb and blow up is not the most palatable thing. Uh And I, yeah. I would, I don't want to put words into the, the mouths of the writers and stuff, but I imagine a Damon Lindelof, you know, 10 plus years removed from this now, probably looks back on this and doesn't love it either, would be my guess. Not to justify mm. it, not to, you know, try and make excuses on behalf of the creative team, but it is hard to look at this. And frankly, we're going to lose the three remaining people of color from the Oceanic 815 group here. Not the best. Not the best that that's what's going down. Um,
2: yeah. Yeah. I, I, on that note, you know, again, obviously, I apologies, love, that
4: that uh, that is overlooking Hurley. That is completely my bad.
2: No, I mean, I, it's it's it, it makes sense, though, why it plays a little bit badly, especially because, like, let's go back to our, our conversations in the greater good. Right. Like, I think a lot of derision towards that episode specifically on your part was like how I'll say "Okey." It was to have a storyline of Saeed trying to stop a suicide bomber. Uh, right. You know, this idea of this duality of Saeed, like you said, really subverting a lot of tropes about Middle Eastern characters in 2004, and here's something where he tries to stop a terrorist attack, almost feels like you're undoing some of that good work. It's no excuse, but I would definitely chalk it up to ignorance. I think there are certainly a lot of things, a lot of characters, whose stories could have probably been told on Lost in even a better way were the writers' room more diverse from a gender perspective, uh, from a... Ethnicity perspective, from a sexuality perspective, from just an experience perspective, and I'm sure if that's the case, then they would be like, "Eh, maybe saeed shouldn't necessarily blow up, Uh, you know. So yeah, I I completely agree. Talks
4: a lot about how he you know very actively uh, you know seeks people for his writers' rooms that are as far away from his own experience as possible. These days, I I think that that is in no small part uh, you know in uh, in in response to uh, in some of the that probably happens in Lost.
2: Ah, Absolutely. I want to go back to, I'm I'm glad that was acknowledged. I'm glad Felipe brought that up. I want to go back to the point you made about Saeed being a weapon, though, because it's so interesting to me in that this is another cycle, like Sawyer says, we're going in circles here that repeated itself in the first half of Lost and the second half of Lost for Saeed. Because when you were talking about him being a weapon pointed at others, I'm assuming you were saying that about his work under John Loki, but really that was also his work under the Republican guard. Was it not that he was a torturer who was brought in essentially used as a weapon and his whole entire story off Island, right? was like his heart broke through that veneer. He sees Nadia that sort of breaks him out of this spell that he had been placed under. And he begins to realize like, what have I been doing to the point where he exiles himself when he ends up dipping back in those waters over the course of season one, Cut forward to season five, where he has lost essentially everything, and he comes back around now to this idea of like maybe I am just a weapon. And here, John Loki comes, able to pick him up and bring him over to his side. And again, we have the beat of him, for lack of a better term, waking up, realizing that his humanity does exist, and he uses it here to make you know a big sacrificial action. I think that that's a beautiful character beat. Yes, it may be a bit repetitive, but it shows everything old is new again. And it's it's it, to me, it is relatable behavior, right? Where, again, we have these bad traits and we can work to mitigate them, but sometimes we can't completely kick them. And that Saeed's journey at the end of his time here in season six mirrors season one. I think is is a really interesting way to do it. Again, when we stop down, it's not something we can really dote on. You know, we're gonna get into Sun and Jin we have, which have much more of a drawn out, extended way to commemorate their time on the show and to each other. Saeed does not get that. And no. maybe that's my overall gripe, I think, with the Saeed season six arc it's just Saeed does not get that sundown, I think, was a better episode than I thought it was, and that at least we do have that moment to briefly stop down, talk about Saeed's descent into darkness, why he ends up being picked up the way that he does. But I do think we were robbed, like you said, uh, it does have the, this big shock value, but I think we were robbed a little bit of redemption for the character. I'm sure Naveen and Andrews would agree. I'm sure he wasn't happy about a good set of a third of the season where he's just sitting around saying, I don't feel anything. Right. Okay, I will do this for you. It sucked to see the character. Like that, and I can understand. I think you made a lot of great metaphors about like comparing it to addiction and falling off the wagon and dipping back in and trying to like pull yourself out of its own sort of form of molasses esque water. But for me, it was not necessarily pleasant to watch. No, was it necessarily tactful to watch. So while I do enjoy the moment and what it represents, again, maybe you know, tact aside, when uh, what Saeed does in this moment part of me can't help but look back and be like, were there things that could have built up to make it an even more resounding moment for the character? Probably.
4: Uh, I would say almost definitely. And I I think that that's fair, and I think that this is such an important character who just... Leaves. There's no sight. I mean, we can we could play the next sound yeah, and, and keep it. talking about it because, you know, the bomb has blown up. Now everything is happening. Uh
2: Frank's gonna get knocked out terrific. Uh, you know, and Well, not not only knocked out, I recall, and the extended break of Across the Sea did not help this. I definitively thought Frank lapidus was dead. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. I, I thought he was one of the four here. And I'll admit. I was not as huge of a Quan fan as uh, then as I was now. I kind of a sadness for Frank Lapidus. Is well, that they, bad they, to say?
4: They do it. They do it very suddenly, and so you do think that Frank just got broad swiped with all the people who die here. Uh, so he just gets hit, but he's fine. He gets hit with a door, an exploding door, <laughs> and he's fine he also uh,
2: apparently like you would imagine sinks to the bottom of the ocean or at least like gets pretty far down there and is still able to swim out and be fine he pulls this
4: off is truly amazing um but sun is is pinned it's pandemonium Jin needs sawyer's help i think sawyer uh it has not gotten knocked out yet but it's just everything is going insane Kate is still hurt. She's been shot. So things are just messy. And so Jack is going to swim over to Hurley to try and get Hurley to, to help out as best as he can. And so I pulled this sound. It's got an iconic line from it. But I also think it just speaks to the pandemonium of the moment. So let's listen. Sound five.
5: Hurley! Hurley! You got to take Kate out of here. What
3: about everybody else? I'll take Kate.
2: Uh, chilling. Ugh. There's
4: no Saeed, uh, which I think is... Uh, only Zul. There is no Saeed, only Zool. Uh There is no Saeed, I think, is exactly the way that he would want to be remembered by Jack in this moment, though. Uh, to, and, like, not to, like, you know, uh, to, like, I think truly, like, I think that that is how this goes down, is Saeed looks at Jack. It's going to be you, Jack. He runs away. He blows himself up. Um, they need to start acting, and they need to start acting fast. No time for sentimentality. Said is no longer a factor in the equation. You got to go. You got to go right now. We'll cry on the beach later. Now you got to get out of here and live and get Kate out of here as well.
2: Yeah, he goes from man of faith slash man of science to man of action, which yeah. is what Said always was. We always talked about how Said was the person that sort of straddled the line between the Jack Locke dichotomy of I'll believe what I see. Uh, and so in this moment, Said gave him those instructions and he is going to jump into action. This is what Jack Shepard does best. This is the guy who walked onto pure chaos on the beach on day one and just went into work, just saving people without even time to breathe. And the fact there was a big ass piece of shrapnel sticking out of his shoulders. So yeah, Jack is going to try to save as many people as possible. He spies the, uh, the little mini oxygen canisters, right? And on the side, he gives one to Hurley, uh, tells them to buddy breathe their way out the sub. Uh, so we did have both our bomb expert and our sub experts, ironically, both named Eric chiming in on this episode throughout, uh, you know, the past couple days on the post show recaps discord. And I do believe sub expert Eric said that, uh, buddy breathing at this death. A would not work with someone who was unconscious, uh, like Kate, like Sawyer is going to be, and B, uh, swimming up from that death would probably cause a lot of problems for these people. Yeah, I mean, you have to
4: uh, suspend some disbelief is probably something that you could just say about Lost. Uh, there is a smoke monster trying to kill these people, uh, and so we do get hung up on logistics sometimes. Um, but I think if we're trying to like, you know, there's this has been this is a Hollywood. Uh, big Hollywood moment you know it's a big uh intense action scene uh that is really being played more for emotion than it is for the realism component uh but no doubt that this probably is not how this goes down IRL but
2: buddy breathe would also be uh, Hurley's favorite catchphrase as a lifeguard right like buddy breathe dude come on breathe
4: breathe no just get up and breathe
2: yeah, just get up and breathe, buddy. Come on. Yeah, breathe, dude. Um, I also, um, I also like, I think uh, Jack tells Hurley in this moment, right, you can do this, which is very much you like can do the this. attitude uh, that he's going to give him in the finale, right, when he passes off leadership onto him. Even now, we talked about this, like Hurley sees... I mean, Jack sees a bit of the writing on the wall with Hurley, or at least that Hurley is someone that's maybe a bit underrated when it comes to giving things to do.
4: Yes, Um, so we now get to the point where Jack wants to help Jin unpin Sun, but she has been just, you know, she's stuck behind stuff behind stuff.
2: It's interesting because I actually would compare this a bit to the Juliet death in that in both cases, you have this idea of like, metal, you know, pinning someone down, or in Juliet's case, dragging someone away from the other person. And while Sawyer can't hold on, Jin gets an opportunity to, uh, and so he will. So, I mean, let, let's also, I want to point out something here, right, where, uh you know, Sawyer's going to get knocked out by just a piece of fallen schmutz, Uh and basically, Jin tells Jack to go, and go save Sawyer. Now, it should be noted here at least from what i saw there were two oxygen canisters that jack broke out of that compartment he gave one to kate and hurley i have to imagine one either goes to jack or one either goes to Jin, and i do think it colors the scene a little differently if you realize that right that like one of these two guys arguably is making a sacrifice play either way. I do not think this is not a Rose Door situation, uh, not Rose Nadler. I do not know if all of them could have swum out, theoretically speaking.
4: Um, I mean, again, if we're already talking about how this defies true logic, then, you know, uh, can they not just share the one between the four? Is that not I don't possible? Know, it's, it's a four way buddy breathing a thing uh you know take the one keep the four uh i don't know i think you could do a, a quadruple buddy check uh could possibly happen um but i also think that a, a more in character thing would be jack uh say i can go without this i can make it i'm jack
2: <laughs> yeah i'm I'm like charlie i i mean i remember when i swam out and tried to save joanna like i'm good
4: yeah I can do this. Uh, and Jin is the one who says, you can't. You can't. Just go, Jack. Just go. Um, and this does feel like the moment where whether or not Jin knows it, you know, consciously, I think maybe uh, some a piece of adrenaline in him knows this is not ending well. Um, I mean, I, this... I think
2: Jack knows as well. At least that's yes. the read I got on Matthew Fox's face if he's like... And they, that, I think that's why you could tell why it took him so long to leave. You, the adrenaline's pumping and he jumps into action very quickly, like immediately sends Hurley and Kate out. So you wonder, why does he linger with the Quans? I think it's because he, wants to he, help like them. It he if- does
4: not want them to die. Uh, yeah. But he also is going to re- need to realize that this is, you know, this is not something that can be fixed by you. Um, you do need to, you know, you need to not let go, but maybe move on. You know, that this is not something that you have power over in this moment. Sun is literally powerless and Jin is uh, making choices right now. Uh, and Jack, is not going to be able to move either of them out of this situation. Um, but you can still save Sawyer. So you gotta save Sawyer. Uh, I think that this is the kind of choice that Jack would make in the OR. You know, he saves mm-hmm. Sarah and Shannon's father dies. Uh, You know, but this is one of those moments where it's not emotionless as we get from right. the, it's, it's, the, the release from Jack at the end of the episode.
2: It's one of those moments where Christian Shepard would say, you just don't have what it takes. And yeah, this is a moment where Jack sometimes does show that, that he doesn't necessarily have that coldness to regard people as it's just numbers thing. or bodies sometimes. Yeah
4: a good thing um but it's gonna happen um we gotta do the thing uh mm. okay so this is it uh you know skip ahead if you need to if you are gonna uh, cry uh, i certainly understand the the impulse we'll see what happens to us here uh this is sound number six
3: Jess. you have to go no I can do this No, no you can't Please go I won't leave you I'm gonna get you out
1: of here
5: 당신하고 같이 있을게.
1: 다시는 떠나지 않을 거야.
0: I love you son.
2: This is, it's, it's rough. It's rough for many reasons, however you cut it, uh, whether you believe it's like a, a beautiful but gutting way to get rid of, uh, you know, two of the most romantic characters on the show if you are infuriated with the decisions that right. these characters make. Either way, it is rough.
4: It's rough. Uh, rough, 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 uh, tough. Yeah,
2: oh, Vincent, come in Vincent, and save them! Vincent,
4: oh my god, make me feel better, Vincent. Um, it's so sad. Uh, and, and Daniel Day Kim and Yunjin Kim really bring it, um... Oh, the- yeah,
2: Yunjin Jin Kim especially. She, you could hear it in her voice at the beginning of the scene, but, like, when she's crying that Jin has to go, like, this is something that clearly she doesn't want to say, but she does. Uh, you know, there's also, I think, a moment of recognition for Sun, where she realizes, like, I'm not leaving here. You know, this is it for me. And you see it on her face, and it is incredibly palpable. And it's just a huge reminder of how even if the script sometimes gave them a disservice, whether due to language barriers, lack of story, whatever... God, these two are such good They're actors, such good actors. Es- especially together. Like, again, for all I said about sort of the neutered, platonic, six feet apart aspects, uh, Christian school dance of it all with its pre- their previous two scenes. Here is just, God, it's so beautiful. Yeah. The way they're just, like, passionately embracing each other. The speaking Korean, we finally get the Korean here as well. Like, I love the fact that they're speaking both languages to each other, that they embrace, that is seemingly that's the final words that they say to each other. Like, God, it, it twinges my heart just speaking about it. Again, say what you want to about the logic that the characters make, but I think it certainly helps me digest this, that the way these two die just feels so... God, it's weird to say, but beautiful to me. Yeah. Um, I,
4: you know... uh am am not a parent and i cannot do i cannot weigh in on the Jin is is horrible for abandoning g on in this moment thing other than to say um you know I think if you're mad at the writing I get that of like the of the situational yep. stuff you're like I get that, and I think that there are probably ways to do this that are um maybe even more thematic and less problematic in that regard um but you know this is again this is this is what what we get. Um and I and I and I do get it from Jen's perspective of time is running out, there are no good choices here, they have been away from each other for all of this time. He did not want her to come back, and this is why, and his worst fear is playing out in front of him. Um I think it's possible that if the if the shoe is on the other foot, maybe Sun just leaves. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and Jin stays, I mm. think I think is possible i d- I don't know Like, just, son literally had to be dragged away kicking and screaming uh, when Jin was on that freighter the first time
4: my rewrite for this might be that um, that son lives and Jin does not my rewrite might be that uh, that you know the whole like son came back to find her husband to you know if there's even a chance that he's alive and so she sees him and she knows he's alive and they have this time together and then he's you have to go you have to leave you have to you have to raise our child. You have to be strong for her. I think that there's some power to that, and to have a uh, <sighs> son come from the other side
2: of that. I I I don't know. I slightly disagree. If it's in the format of season six that we are right now, I would say I'm fine with that. If the two had had more time together, because then that would have I felt actually in my opinion cheaper to be like, yeah, I saw your dad for like two minutes and then I had to leave. uh That would have felt actually I think a little less fulfilling if they had spent more time together then I, I would have understood it right it's almost like you know getting to visit a, a deceased loved one and like checking in with them for a day or so and then yeah. they they disappeared that's the feeling that I, I would have gotten but like I don't know it's, it's odd to say right because you know I have certainly come in wondering as a new parent this is the first time I've watched the scene since becoming a parent yep. how do I feel about it and I think my overall sense of it is as a parent Jin made the wrong decision. As Jin Kwan, Jin made the right decision. Yeah, because yeah. that's the 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 matter. The fact of the matter is, yes, abandoning a child to be orphaned is objectively terrible. I think Eric Davisine said it's an unforgivable decision. But I don't think this is like a uh, you know Jin. It's weird to say Jin isn't really a father. Like let me let me put it bluntly, Jin has not met his daughter. He has not become available in her life for three years. From an emotional perspective, he has spent the past three years trying to divorce himself from that life that seemingly moved on without him, right? That's the speech he gives to Locke in this place's death. Tell son, I'm no longer here. I do not want her to come back. It's an incredibly hard decision that he has to make. Yeah, he saw some photos on a digital camera and it would have been nice for him to see, but at the end of the day, this it's son. Son is the one who he has lived for. Son is the one he has done so many things for for so long that it just didn't ring true to the character for me in this moment. For him to be like, "All right, I will take care of our daughter. Goodbye," like that to me doesn't feel like something Jin in this moment would do. Now, look, I'm sure Daniel Day Kim himself would have said, if Jin had the entire day to think about it, he would have left Sun behind, and gone after his daughter. But it was a spur-of-the-moment decision, and to be candid, I do not begrudge Jin for what he did, considering where he is in his life, and considering the fact that he had just gotten Sun back specifically. Jion is... An incredible part of his life i'm sure he is proud of being able to have a daughter especially when he realized that he could no longer have one uh you know to get that news must be earth shattering but she is just a picture on a camera this is a living breathing person your living breathing person in front of you i cannot imagine the pain with which it would be to leave this person behind for the unknown yeah
4: (laughs) i put myself in the shoes of uh, from from the marriage perspective and i just i can't i cannot imagine anything stopping me from staying uh in in that but i but i don't i don't have that other piece i have no plans to have that other piece right, right again, now like, again, you know and if,
2: if, if you come in and you say you know this guy abandoned raising his child then uh, yeah i think it makes all the sense to trash jen of like what the hell are you doing it's a selfless decision But honestly, like, I really do think it's much more nuanced than that. And I think also, let me be honest here again. Well, I guess while I'm I'm cleaning the hot takes uh, from a thematic perspective, it makes no sense in the world for me for Jin to leave her behind. Yeah. In many ways. One of them being when the plane crashed, when Oceanic 815 crashed, there were three Couples of people who knew each other. Right, there were some people who uh, might have run into each other. Some were related, but three couples knew each other. Boone and Shannon died on the island. They they did not. They you know Shannon existed for a bit of a time without Boone, but essentially they both died in the same location. Michael and Walt left the island together. Though there was a separation afterwards, and Michael ends up coming back. Michael and Walt left the island together. I don't. I don't think I would like it if one left and one stayed. Uh, I think it is intrinsically tied back to this idea of everything old is new again. God, I hate using a DJ Dom quote here, Josh, but they came with each other. They, I think it makes sense that they're leaving with each other. Uh, it, It would frankly, I think feel a little weird to me if one person ends up surviving, flying off on that Ajira plane and the other person gets left behind. I think it's beautiful that these two people touched down together, their lives were in such different places. Sun was going to leave Jin and made the decision at the last minute to get on this plane. Now they are here. They are together once more, but they are not bound by location, right? They are bound by choice. They are looking each other in the eyes, saying they loved each other effortlessly you know finally seeing through all the bs that they've gotten through from both from mr paik all the way through to the to the white lights flashing they finally found each other and so i i it just makes sense to me from the character arc perspective for them to die together as well uh it's so
4: upsetting uh it's obvious i think that we're gonna have a lot of time still to talk about this and you know the in the end and the feedback and everything like that um I know that we also have feedback in this episode that we can get yeah, into it.
2: So, so, well, we'll definitely get into it. I just wanted to put my thoughts out yeah. there as to like where and I I honestly surprised myself. I thought I'd come in as a dad being like, oh, I can't imagine leaving my son behind. But that's the thing, again, is that I have the experience of having been in my son's life for two and a half years. Uh, Jin Soo Kwan has not had that. And so I, I do think That's that not
4: his choice, though. You know, like, he, he, he did not choose to stay here. Uh, and so I think, you know, obviously he has his choice. He's raising Jiyeon with Sun. So I cannot, you know, I, I do think that I take some umbrage with the idea that he, that she is not a factor in his decisions that he makes in the three years after he and Sun are split apart. Um, I do think for me it's mostly, it's the adrenaline piece of how do, how does he possibly leave her here? How does he possibly do that? You can't. You just can't. How could can you leave her here? Uh, this is his everything, his son, and has been for so much of the show that how do you leave her is just an impossible choice. Uh, it is not a choice uh, that I can even imagine being a decision. Um, that's like yeah. the big no, piece that, that, for me. No,
2: that, that's a good point. Let me, let me say that I didn't mean to be as callous as like, well, he just forgot about his daughter. I just think... It's, it's tougher, I think, to sort of, you know, I think maybe for Jin, conceptualize the concept of like going off island to raise his daughter versus to your point, like leaving this person behind, you know, to like disengage the, the realistic for the hypothetical. There's no good decision
4: here. There's no good well, no. decision here. To and, make, it's, and it's also know?
2: interesting because let's go back to uh, a bit of flashes before your eyes. Jin is a little bit of the man with the red shoes here, in my opinion. Like, Stop me if you've heard this one before, Josh. There is a boat out in the middle of the ocean chartered by Charles Widmore that gets blown up with C4 and Jin Su Kwon yeah. is on it. You know, and let's even go back to the raft, to the raft. Uh, and what happens to, to Jin yep. as well. Like, part of me wonders, is this from a... And maybe that's another reason why I'm sort of, like, uh, at, at peace a bit with this decision as well. is because it, do, it does feel a bit poetic. Yeah, like you said, this idea that, like, it'll come around eventually. That, you know, despite him escaping a, a watery grave multiple times, eventually Davy Jones, Bill Nighy, and all of his great CGI get-up, Came for him eventually, and, and the third time wasn't the charm. And maybe the fact that Jin all had what all those does near Davey misses.
4: Jones have to do with it. What's well, <laughs> his locker? In
2: Jin in his locker. Yeah, it's his locker. You know, they didn't sneak past. <laughs> Why do to, we to have to bring Davy Jones here? <laughs> it, it's just a little bit of Pirates of the Caribbean two humor to lighten the mood. Jeez. But like, I, I do think it's interesting that Jin has been assumed dead multiple times in many similar circumstances. That for it to finally end here, I don't know. It seem, it seems fitting to me. I'm a big Quan fan. I would have loved to see them survive, but like I would say I am oddly at peace with how it ended here. Now look, much like Saeed. Do I wish that things could have build, built up much better? Hell freaking yes. Uh I know that you say that you are okay with the Quans reconciling for one episode and then dying. I'll be honest, Josh, from those two scenes and now this. I'm not. No, I think that my take is that uh I
4: I don't mind the concept. Uh the execution mm-hmm. is is harder for me to swallow. The concept I I think could have could have been concept. done. Yeah. I think the you know, I don't think the concept is necessarily off. Um I don't think that it's, you know, you know, what we do get of them when they're together, It's I think a big piece of it is that rush, the rush job uh, yeah. and you really do feel that.
2: Well, that's the thing in general is And we get this with Saeed, too. We talked about this a bit in Season 4, that after the latter portion of Lost, while they were simultaneously like ballooning the ensemble, I think they were also tightening the spotlight on a group of characters. Uh, Mainly the four we end up here with, with Jack, Kate, Hurley, Sawyer. You can include Locke in that, you can include Benjamin Linus in that. And unfortunately, it's at the expense of maybe fading out some of our bigger ensemble members from the early seasons and look no further than the three that died here. And so we we talked about this, that, you know, the Quans really take a backseat, especially in seasons five and six. They get their couple of episodes, but really they become like almost tertiary players for a good amount of things. And when they're given spotlights like the package, it's not particularly great. I give all the kudos in the world to Young Jim Kim and Daniel Day Kim for making a meal out of, honestly, some staples that were not as richly given to them as they were in the first few seasons. And honestly, it's my love for the characters that really buoyed me through episodes like G.E. which I still have a soft spot in my heart for because it reminds me of like the love and chemistry that these two characters have with each other. I would say that Latter-day Lost did the Quans dirty. A bit. And it is sad. I could understand the choice given the economy of episodes, especially in season four, to sort of give more magnanimity to the characters that are going to play a bigger picture in the end game. But I will commemorate these two actors. Instead of acknowledging the shortcomings, I will instead acknowledge the, the, the feats that these actors overcame where they were given only a few scraps sometimes, but they turned it into delicious dishes. In my opinion,
4: I think the thing I'm maddest about is you know it's it's just another function of I I wish that this season was structured differently. Um, I'm I I, they, I don't love that we lose them. Um, certainly not without without a little bit more to both of their stories that aren't just sort of the very you know uh you know kind of uh, like you know nonsense stories of the package, right? You know, I just think mm-hmm. that there there was more to be done. We talked a lot about Sun's Season 5 story being really slim. Um, so there's just, there was more to do here. You could have brought in uh, Mr. Paik in a way that would have been really compelling and, you know, brought more meaning to the storylines here as well, I think, uh, and just more importance to them, if not meaning, but more prominence. Um, and I and I do think that that is, uh, I think when, when you leave Season 6 and a lot of the conversation is, wow, they really did Saeed dirty. Um, you know, I, they didn't do great by the Quans either. Uh, I think that Said and the Quans both get uh, short-shifted here in, in the final year of the show, for sure. But because of those emotional attachments we've made to those characters, and especially those actors, I think this still does just Feel really intense, and yeah. c- I can't deny the feeling. Um, I know many oh, people yeah. can, but for for me, you know the the feeling that it evokes it it evokes what they wanted me to feel for the most part. My my feelings predominantly walking away from this harrowing sequences, just exhaustion and depletion, and a lot of it is you know what we'll hear at the end with the with the group on the beach. Yeah, uh, no,
2: it, it really is that. Like, because this was an act break. And it really is just that sort of stunned looking around saying, did that really just happen? You know, and because let's also remember, this was not the ending of the episode. This was the, the second to last act. And they did all of this. It is one of the most harrowing sequences I have ever seen on television. Just so much brutality in a show that, yeah, would really rug pull sometimes. But man, this is dark. This is incredibly dark. And again, though, the 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 way that they personify the Kwan's dying is, like, incredibly romantic, I would say. Though, again, some might say selfish, understandably so. Like, it still has such a dark tinge to it. Even looking at that final image, right, of we have all these slow-mo shots underwater of the sunken sub. And then it pans to, to sudden Jin holding hands. I mean, it's incredibly beautiful because... It's a representation of the fact that, right, they couldn't hold each other. They couldn't find each other. Now they have, through the language of physical touch, but then they separate. And it's almost like a representation of, yeah, they did this. But inevitably, right, something dark had to happen. It's almost a representation of the sideways as well, right? They found each other and now they're going to separate from each other. It's not like they're going to be without each other in the flash sideways, but they certainly will not have memories of what happened here. It's a beautiful haunting image, but it's also like a surprisingly cruel one at the same time of they had this moment at unification and inevitably, ma- nature made them drift apart again.
4: Yeah, it's horrible.
2: <laughs> it's <just laughs> let, horrible. let me also note here, because Jim Fells obviously did not have time to do a video because he is a new daddy. But uh, he did write in in his email about some music behind the sequence that I thought might be interesting. Uh, so he says, The soundtrack that plays during this sequence, which is called SS Lost Tannic, is so great. Throughout the scene, what I've been calling Locke's journey motif plays, but rather than epic and heroic, it's dissonant and unsettling. This motif also plays when the Man in Black crawls out of the water and starts shooting at Winmore's crew, quite possibly the coolest soundtrack moment on the show. We also briefly hear the Man in Black's theme, followed by the submarine theme, which was introduced in The Man from Tallahassee. When Jack decides to leave Jin and Son, we hear the Oceanic Six theme, as the survivors basically break up for the last time, And then when Jack leaves, we hear his motif combined with Locke's motif. So again, in an incredibly rich, complicated sequence. There's even musical stuff built on top of that as well, right? Between introducing the man in black's influence, despite the fact that he's not there, he has certainly made his impact, the submarine stuff, and then a really, you know, sad reprise of the Oceanic Six theme as Jack vowed to bring them back together, he did but for a fleeting moment as once again they are ripped apart. Oh, man,
4: it's just too much. It's just too much. It's very, it's very impactful. It's very, uh, again, I said it before, I'm off balance today. And just even, you know, you, you know, got the bends, just feeling the the weight of all of it is just, uh, it's like oppressively painful. <laughs> 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 to be totally honest, it's oppressively painful. Uh, and I think that that is what they want you to feel. So mission accomplished. Good job, folks. You did it. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, 10 plus years later, I'm still i'm still feeling it um we gotta leave the submarine we gotta start wrapping up the episode we go to the final sideways scene uh, yes. and we're kind of uh, putting we, a, a bow on the on the jack and lock stuff
2: can we talk briefly for a second because you'll hear this but let's also mention the fact that as we're memorializing the quans we do see Jin pass by lock here with flowers for sun what do you make of this decision because i've heard uh, both sides of the matter
4: Part of me likes it. Um, Part of me likes that you get, you know, especially in, uh, you know, retroactively, uh, that there is, uh, you know, something of a, you know... there's life after this, you know, mm-hmm. life doesn't just stop. I mean, literally
2: that's the purpose of the flash sideways
4: <laughs> life and death, you know? And so I think that that is, that is nice. Um, I, I don't mind it. I think that some people have major issues with it. It's almost in, you know, in hindsight, there is something nice about the fact that there is still more for gin and son, um, after their horrible, horrible deaths. Yeah. It's, um, it's almost
2: like a, almost like a confirmation from the writers, right? Like, don't worry, they're not gone forever, we're still going to see them, yeah. almost. Yeah. Uh,
4: so, I think I think that there is, uh, yeah, I think that there's absolutely uh, a piece of that, that there's, you know, something, but there's also something that's, like, additionally painful about it. Uh, so, I think it serves uh, a couple of different purposes. But let's listen to the scene with Jack and Locke. I think that this is a really powerful scene in uh, the sense of how these two are meeting each other in this moment right before they ship off to whatever is beyond the Great Beyond. Uh, let's listen in. Sound number seven. Mr. Locke.
5: I'm glad I caught you. I haven't had a chance to say goodbye yet. Well, goodbye. <laughs> then thanks again, Dr. Shepard. I went to see your father. What? When you didn't want the surgery, I felt like I had to understand why. And uh, you know, I thought that if I could find out why you're in this chair, that maybe I, I- was in a plane crash.
1: I had had my my private pilot's license for a week, and uh, I begged my father to be my first official passenger. He was terrified of flying, but I looked him right in the eye and I told him he could. Trust me. We barely got off the ground. I, I still don't... Re- I don't remember what I did wrong. But it was my fault. It was my fault that this man who I love more than anything will never walk or...
5: the first time you and I met uh, back at the at the airport. You told me that my father was gone and uh, it hurt to hear that but I knew you were right. Your father's gone too, Mr. Locke. Well, no, no, he's not. Yes, he, he is and you can punish yourself as much as you want and that's never going to bring him back.
1: What happened happened and You can let it go. What makes you think letting go is so easy? It's not. In fact, I
5: don't really know how to do it myself. And that's why I was hoping that maybe you could go first. I can't help you, John. I wish you believed me.
2: Josh, I don't know why, but the line that really got me this time around watching this scene is, you know, uh, I, I, it's tough to let things go. I have a problem with it myself. That's why I was hoping maybe you could go first. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know what it is, but like the simplicity and beauty in that line coming from a character like Jack Shepard. I don't know. It just it has really hit me these past few times watching it.
4: Yeah, I think for for Jack, you know, even on the other side of everything he does at the end, you know, it doesn't it doesn't fix him all the way. Right. You know, it's not that there that that doesn't happen unfortunately, you know you 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 work and you improve and you do the work and you you keep doing it, but it doesn 't the work doesn 't stop uh, and so I think that even beyond his mortal life that there is still this issue to continue working on feels really foundationally human and I think is certainly central to Jack specifically as a character. But it's the way that he is trying to really try to make Locke see that it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's going to be okay. Uh, You know, and like this is not, this is not easy. It is hard, but we could do this together feels So powerful to me, given these two characters and their journey together, in their lives together, at this point in this state beyond uh, trying to get there. And I think Locke's whole thing of, I don't know, I barely got off the ground, and I don't know what I did wrong, but I know it was my fault, is so sad in terms of the, uh, you know, contrasting that to, uh, I don't understand You know, Mm. the final thoughts. Um, it's, it's so, like, it's still so firmly lodged there that that is how he left this world. Uh, and so you see it so palpably. You know, they're talking about a pilot license and a plane crash that's not the Oceanic 815 plane crash, but it is, you know, that is what's being talked about here. Uh, you know, is the, the whole of their island experience and therefore their lives. Um, I think it's, it's just, it's a really strong scene for these two actors and and very much for these two characters.
2: I mean, let me come out and say it. Uh, this outside of the end might be one of my favorite sideways scenes of them all. I just think from a writing perspective, especially from an acting perspective, we've gotten so used to John Loki that, you know, outside of the substitute and Dr. Linus, we don't see that much of sideways John Locke. And like, I missed him. I missed Terry O'Quinn as John Locke. And so seeing him here. He's so good. His just isn't the entire way he tells the story about the plane crash and the pain and deliberation with which he speaks about it. You could tell that Jack had to force this traumatic story out of him. And the way he tells it, it's that, it's that relatable frustration that we have seen on John Locke. I'm sure the fact that he doesn't remember probably hits him the hardest, right? Cause like if there's an actionable thing that he could fix, that's something he could fixate on, but now he, Ironically enough, has to fixate on the fact that there is nothing to fixate on. Uh, I love the symmetry in him talking about how his dad was nervous to fly. He looked him in the eye and said he could trust him. And then they went down. It's very similar to what happened with the bomb, right? Jack looks Sawyer in the eye, says, you can trust me. Sawyer doesn't. And then look what happens. Uh, It's just this idea of, of you know, trust and eye contact really Echoes throughout. And my heart goes out to John Locke, much like it did in the substitute. That, you know, he for some reason put himself in this purgatory where the man he loved most in the world can no longer walk or talk, and it's his fault. And so I really love Jack in this scene too. Yeah. You could argue on paper, what of a what a bedside manner to be like, hey, your dad's dead, Mr. Locke. Uh nothing you do can fix that. But what I love about Jack here is not just the, that's why I was hoping maybe you could go first. Though I love that too, because Jack is such a leader, such a charge forward ahead, be the first one in battle type of thing that for him to say, help me is God. That is so powerful. Even just saying those words, you know, the, the idea of admitting help in general is such a tough thing to do, but even more so for Jack Shepard, but he tells Locke what happened happened and you can let it go. Those are two phrases antithetical to the Jack Shepard we knew in the first five seasons, right? He can't let things go. He worked against whatever happened happened at the end of season five because he believed he could change things. And the fact that he has now come around to say those things really shows, again, him sort of finding that sense of self, learning those life lessons, be it in another life, and bringing that forward to somebody else. And then it finishes... In Jack connecting on Locke with a line that is quite literally unconscious to the man, Jack tells him, "I wish you believed me." And Locke pauses for a second, and I like to believe Josh that part of that is the, again that sort of like edging on waking up of like why did I hear that before? And then Locke goes, so it's this idea of like almost Jack planting a a Jack seed, as it were. I just think it is a tremendous scene and obviously the one to talk about in this episode is what happens in the sub but my God it's a very what a follow- up it's, it's a, a very very good, very good scene it's a great representation of these two men where they came from where they are now and where they're going to go as well we still have some jack stuff to take care of on the island and I think what he underwent there helped get him into the place now of what he's telling John Locke. So let's go back to the island and
4: let's listen in on what Jack still has to do, because the answer, unfortunately to that question is, break some very hard news to his friends that their other friends are no longer alive. This is sound number
1: eight. I couldn't find you) I couldn't.
5: Is he okay? You got hit in the head pretty hard, but
1: he's breathing. Oh what you didn't
2: is how the episode should have ended.
4: Yeah, and it ends with the John Loki scene of, it's sunk, I'm gonna finish what I started, uh, and very clearly it ends that way because uh, it's setting up across the sea, uh, which will be, you know, so focused on the man in black as a young person, as, a, as special. Uh, <laughs> and so I get why it ends that way, but I agree, I wish that it ended on this scene. I think that this is my favorite scene of the episode, actually is the is the four of them on the beach. Sawyer's alive, but he's out. The realization on Kate first, and then Hurley taking a beat before he gets it. And then Jack, I cannot be in front of these people. They cannot see this from me. So I need to pull it together. Said told me I'm going to be the guy. I need to, to get it going. Uh, is just, But he, then he crumbles. It's is just vicious to Ugh. me. Even just the Ugh. sloppiness of the fact that his whole backside is caked in wet sand and you know mm. it's just the whole the imagery of it it's the it's the, the 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 bleakest of night um it is just so it is so emotionally devastating and so live like this is finally the moment where you can breathe and now that you're breathing you're just exhausted uh and i really feel it alongside the characters i think it is uh tremendously powerful this final moment that you get i think is this catharsis that all of uh, the lost bands, uh are feeling at this part of the of the episode
2: yeah this scene breaks me every time yeah uh because i would argue this is the most cathartic moment since the raft launch uh which is obviously another moment that like always brings me to tears because it's one of those rare moments where you have underwent the same thing as, like, the castaways, almost. In that case, you have been with them on the island for an entire season, and now there's a chance of of escaping, and there's so much happiness and optimism behind that. And here is the exact opposite, where we did not have time to breathe, and they didn't, along with this adrenaline-filled sequence where several people were lost along the way. And now they have to sit in it and just, like, decompress and... I mean honestly what does it for me is Jorge Garcia uh because we have never seen Hurley weep before you know we've seen Kate cry we've seen Jack cry a couple of times but Hurley is the audience surrogate we've right
4: when uh, when Libby died of course we saw that Well it there. I guess with that
2: yeah 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 but um but usually he's like Mr. Happy fun time Hurley it right happens,
4: it breaks you it really does Yeah
2: exactly because again this is a character that we don't consider sad to be completely honest. And so when he breaks, you break, and to hear him just heaving, sobs, it's a devastating scene. And it even starts with Kate falling into Jack's arms saying, I couldn't find you. I couldn't find you. That's all she could say. And it really connects back to like the terror. With which she felt probably like when she gets shot and she wakes up and Jack's not there and everything is just in a panic. They're not on the sub anymore. I cannot imagine the fear she experienced there. But yeah, the just the ugh, the, the, the way in which Jack walks away from this incredibly grievous bunch and has to look up at the sky and cry, feeling like he failed his mission but he still has work to do. Just like the incredibly complicated feelings about that, that, you know, he has to stay strong in front of this group, but in private, he is absolutely broken inside for what he just had to do is heart-shattering in so many ways. And I really wish that's how it ended, not only because it's a really just beautiful, silent way to do it, but because it allows us to live with those characters for a bit, right? For us to just really end on... This group of heroes, it's sort of is this, and then there were one vibe as well, of we had this group back together temporarily, we keep losing all these people from our main ensemble, and now we're left with Jack, Kate, Sawyer, and Hurley. Ironically enough, Josh, all the way back in the season two finale, these four people were brought to the Palafari docks on the way to Hydra Island. Here they are on the way back from Hydra Island in a very sad spot. And there is this moment, at least in my opinion, where I think he and a lot of a lot of us look around and say, this is all that's left. You know, there. now granted there is still Ben and Richard Alfred, and Miles, uh, which we haven't necessarily focused on. But considering the heart with which we invested in a lot of these characters that we lost in this episode to just realize how few of those people are left is so resounding.
4: Yeah, it's 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 a nightmare. It's a nightmare, Uh, but it is also in in a meta way, it is representative of folks. I don't know what you expected. We're, we've we got, you know, at that point, three episodes left. You know, for us, we've got two episodes yeah. left. We you already know, passed the episode real. called
2: Happily Ever After. We're you know, not going it's, there. It's
4: very real, and this show is ending, and these lives are, even the ones who live, even the ones who make it, their lives, as far as you are concerned, are ending, because you won't see them again. So it's happening. So, uh you know, are you upset right now? Are you crying? Well, then, you know, to some extent, mission accomplished, uh which is... Uh, Uh, you know, devastating, utterly, utterly, utterly devastating. Uh, We will weigh in on the devastating impact of the candidate as we do our 4.2 fish biscuits. Uh, When we come back, we'll do feedback as well. We've got MVPs and LVPs still to sort out. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back after this commercial break.
0: The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes.
3: Ch-ch-chumba.
0: ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
4: All right, Mike, we need to rank the candidate. Um, I don't know if I'm being punitive or or not. I'm I'm not giving it a 4.2, which maybe people think that this is like a 4.2 caliber episode for sure. I think that there are 4.2 moments for me, but it is not an all the way perfect episode. And part of that is some level of defiance, Mike. That I don't want to give a perfect rating to the episode that totally wiped out three of my favorite characters. I'm <laughs> mad. I'm upset. I don't want to Screw give you, you a writers. perfect score. Uh, Screw you, dads. You know, there's there's some degree to which I feel that vibe very very very, very hard. Um, I think that there are some... Some logistical questions about uh, did this need to happen this way? It, there's th- This episode gets me reflecting and sort of when I'm on the other side of the sadness and getting into a little bit of the, man, but this could... This, it didn't have to go this way. It didn't have to feel this way that I think that I get into a little bit of coulda, shoulda, woulda or at least I am on, on this round. Um, and then I also think about the first portion of the episode, the non-sideways stuff, the island stuff pre-submarine, that for me just feels fine, uh, not mm-hmm. not horrifically bad, and at least Seamus gets horribly killed, and that's great. <laughs> uh, but I think still, it makes me it makes me uh, you know uh, roll my eyes a little bit. But the severity of what happens, the power of what happens, it is just very, very, very deeply moving. Uh, And so in that sense, excellently done. Um, And there's also that I think that the sideways gets overlooked here as a really powerful Jack and Locke story. So I'm just outside of the fours on this one is where I land. I'm giving it a 3.9. I think this is what I gave to Lighthouse as well. Um, I'm lower on this than I am on a couple of the other episodes we have seen. I think at this point in time as we're rounding the corner on Lost I'm more inclined to be charitable to the episodes that make me feel happy warm fuzzies than sad mm. uh, thorny razor blade studded feels uh, which is definitely what the candidate does even <laughs> though wow they effectively disguised all of those weapons and really did me in so 3.9 is still a really high score but I can imagine for me who, who tends to be such a generous grader on Lost that maybe this feels a little defanged that's just some of my thought process behind why it's a 3.9 9
2: for me. As defanged as Marty Jacula. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, this episode really is the, the razor blade in the apple, right? Where you're like, oh, yeah, everyone's getting back together. We're making motions here. We're finally getting on the sub. And then this happens. Uh, and so I think it is incredibly effective in what it does in that regard. I completely co-sign what you said. By my metrics, this is not a perfect episode of Lost. Uh, the first half is a little bit plot-heavy and just sort of going through the motions of getting everyone where it does. But man when it gets there it knocks it out of the park in a way that not many episodes of season six have done so I think that considerably lifts the score in my opinion I ended up giving it slightly below yours I gave it a 3.8 which I think is the same score I gave the substitute which I think makes sense I think that the I think the candidate is maybe a bit more of an up and down episode than the substitute but the stuff in the candidate when it delivers it d, de- le in three separate sentences. And so I think that really does buoy it onto some of the upper echelons of at least season six episodes. Man, it's just a wallop. It is a freaking wallop. It is lost sometimes at its best, in my opinion, and a season that is not often lost at its best. And so I do have a lot of commendations for what the candidate was able to bring. Though, unfortunately, between the way the first half goes... And also maybe I'm docking it a bit uh, to sort of serve as a culmination for, as I mentioned, the fact that while I actually am fine with the way it shakes out for those three characters who die in the sub... It almost serves as like a reprobation of the way those characters were treated specifically in, this, in the sixth season that makes me look down at it a little more harshly but not that much more harshly. Again, it's a 3.8. It's a fairly yeah. high score, especially high compared score. to a lot of season six.
4: Uh, a 3.8 is the listener average as well. It goes as low as a 3.3 and as high as a 4.2. Uh, so with the 3.8 from you, the listeners, the 3.9 from me, it's a 3.83 for the candidate, which is just a scooch above the substitute and uh, significantly below abby turno but the candidate is currently uh the silver medal finalist of season six yeah so i would far. imagine and i imagine
2: it's gonna finish with bronze but still well, podium finish is not
4: too bad i don't know mike i'm looking ahead at some of the scores that have come in for the remaining episodes that we have to discuss and i guess what i'll say is if you are somebody who loves the finale I would maybe send in your scores. Uh and you want to make sure that the finale is getting represented. Well, I would send in those fish biscuits. Uh uh, finger meat scale. The numbers are what the numbers are, and so people need to write in. So I'm not saying anything other than I would get your ratings in if you care about the finale's placement. If you if that if that matters to you if you're invested in it. Uh so send that in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Let's get into some feedback. This came our way from Fitzy. This is an interesting Kind of funny anecdote uh, that during the Lost Con 2020 panel, uh, the virtual panel that was done, Jorge Garcia revealed that when they shot the scene of the group reacting to Jin and Son's death, he had a sudden laughing fit. Uh, and luckily, laughing looks a lot like crying. So when they're huddled together on the beach and he's convulsing in huge sobs, Jorge Garcia was actually laughing, Mike. Wow. Uh, he couldn't remember what brought on the laughing fit. But sometimes that's how laughing fits work.
2: Yeah. And sometimes it's also a matter of like you are just so in a bad place emotionally that like you just hysterically laugh for whatever reason. like The term hysterical applies to both cries and laughs for that reason. Uh, maybe it was also something as simple as, like, you know, Josh Holloway's there and he's passed out the entire time and he looked goofy. Maybe they, they were laughing at Matthew Fox being covered ass-to-toe to in sand. Uh, I'm not sure, but really interesting. Makes you kind of look at it in a different way about how hey, oh wow, look at what Jorge Garcia is doing. Powerhouse acting. No, he was actually doing the opposite of what he's supposed to do, but it still came across well.
4: Yes. Um, let's get into James choice from a bunch of different oh, perspectives. We, go. we had so many people who wrote in. We will read that feedback. We also have this um, from Damon Lindelof, who uh, who spoke about it in a New York Magazine interview. Uh, thank you to the Ben behind the curtain and uh, Brendan Fitzpatrick for including this. This is what Lindelof says: Our only answer for it is that Son only had about thirty seconds to process the fact that she was going to die. Son and Jin never had a relationship together with their daughter. Son had a relationship with her, but Jin did not. She was just a picture on a phone to him in that moment. She did not tell Jin to leave her side. Partially in that moment, maybe there was a part of her that wanted him to stay with her. Who knows? We're not really willing to say why characters don't say certain things in certain moments. All we can say is she did not say that. We did not want that scene to be about their daughter. We wanted it to be about them reuniting. Um. I don't think it's a great answer to be totally honest with you. I don't know when this um, interview was offhand. Uh, that's not included here in the notes. Maybe I can do some uh, internet detectiveery and find that out super fast. Let's see if this comes yeah, up. Uh, uh, yeah, yep. I mean,
2: I'll, I'll sort of give. I'll give my thoughts as you're as you're looking it up because yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know, the 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 initial rationale that he gives is actually not to dissimilar from what you know I was saying about I think the like the physical concept of son versus the me- more metaphoric concept of GE on but I would say that what he says in the latter part of it of like oh we didn't want it to be about their daughter we wanted it to be about them reuniting I think that's an indictment of the writers to be completely honest I think if your fans are looking at this and they're like yeah, the an answer
4: from 2010 so this is you know immediate aftermath of the thing basically
2: yeah so I think If you are saying like, oh, I can't believe that people were thinking about their daughter throughout all of this... I think that's just showing like you you missed something a skosh when you were writing it. Yeah, I think um, that that
4: happened in a lot of areas of the of the final season that I think with the benefit of hindsight and time, think, other choices would probably be made. But they make the show in very fast order. And I don't think, you know, with, you know, tired facing final season brains, I think this is where they get. I have sympathy for that. I know that a lot of response uh to that is also they had three years to figure out how they were going to end this, yeah. you know, uh, and that's valid as well. Um, but that quote from Damon is from May of 2010, shortly after this episode aired, I think a week later. So, uh, you know, uh, that uh, gives you some context for what he was thinking at the time. Let's get into the feedback from people about this. This is from Joanne, the Pistons fan said, Jin, what are you thinking? This is quite the grand romantic gesture, but the pigs are going to raise your daughter, the same ones that turned you into a violent
2: enforcer and nearly destroyed your life. Fair point from Joanne, the Pistons Ban for sure. Unless, unless there's a deleted scene where they open Son's last will and testament, and she says. My child, should, in the event of my death, should be raised by King Daddy Kwan. Yes. Deliver him to the nearest fishing village. You, cra- you craven morons. Yes. I don't want her to be raised by you. Put him in the care of the best daddy we know. I
4: love it. KDK, take on. uh raise her. I hope that that is how this plays. Um, Brian Edwards writes in, even after a few re- rewatches, I land on not loving the ending of Jin and Son in The Candidate. It bothers me that Jin chooses to essentially abandon his daughter. I might have bought if it was reversed and it was son who was choosing, uh, choosing to at least as she knows her daughter is being taken care of by her mother uh, so that's from Brian this is from Andrew Andrew writes in and Jin's decision to stay and die with son may have made sense for him but I can guarantee if I did that and didn't go back to take care of my children my wife would refuse
2: to talk to me in the afterlife <laughs> I'm trying uh, to remember you've watched the Jin and son wake up scene more recently than yes. I did she uh, punch him on the shoulder no, like dude no, you, should, you, my, nice you love him. my daughter with the pakes
4: she's very nice to him Uh, And then from uh, Birthday King, Eric Divestein. I understand Jin doesn't have the same connection to his daughter as son since he has been separated from her for her entire life, but if that's the defense of Jin's actions, then why did the show have to give us scenes highlighting Jin's love for ji and his desire to meet her? Had the show arranged this differently, such that Jin died without explicitly choosing to orphan his daughter unnecessarily, the scene could have been less infuriating and very emotional. However, as it is, I feel no emotion except frustration watching the scene. And that is such a shame because these beloved characters warranted a better death scene. That is from Eric. Um, I yeah. feel that. I think that I, you know, I think a lot of this is is righteous fury, and I think that it is. Uh, it's 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 a wild thing that here we are, all these years later, still deeply feeling these feelings. Uh, is is yeah. pretty pretty amazing.
2: It's interesting because, yeah, I mean, uh, Eric, I would say, is probably one of the more emotionally charged person, people in reactions to this, which makes sense. He is a father. Uh, and I, I don't disagree with what he's saying. Like, I agree. It, the oh, It's bad showing on the writers that they have a scene that's explicitly him being like, oh, yes, we have a daughter. And then it leads to him being like, bye, ji Uh But I don't know. For me, I could understand absolutely the frustration for the scene. For me, I think the thematic elements of Sun and Jin as a character as characters, I should say, mean a lot to me, uh, that they still, like, produce an overly positive moment in my heart. Let me just, again, say, I'm sure I'm going to have people yelling at me being like, you know, you callous mf or you're a dad, and you're you're advocating for this guy leaving his daughter behind. You know, I would... It's, it's a tragedy that he would absolutely do that but i think given everything behind it it is you know not well done in the context of everything as eric is saying uh but i think i was surprisingly at peace with what happened if i connected back to the Jin and son side of things from a father perspective yeah it is objectively terrible unless we go with the headcanon that the gian was left in the care of king daddy kwan in which case she lived a full happy life learning from the best person ever
4: Uh, this is from Jim Fells, who has time to write in some more. Jim wrote in and said, A parallel I noticed between Jin's first and final words on the show show to me how much this character has changed and grown over the course of Lost, and it explains why his fatal decision was so important to his arc. In the pilot, he says, You must not leave my sight. You must follow me wherever I go. Do you understand? Don't worry about the others. We need to stay together. And in The Candidate, his final words are... I won't leave you. I will never leave you again. I love you, son.
2: Yeah. And that's, I think that's really where I'm settling is that looking at the Jin or the Jinny, the journey of Jin uh, and son over the course of the show, just for it to end the way that it did, I think really rings. Okay. For me. Uh, And not to the point where I can necessarily forgive the outside circumstances, but it just feels so rich considering the journey that these characters have went through and how much they are both dissimilar and different from where they were three years ago when they touched down on this island. And I love Jim utilizing the first and last lines from this character because, again, it all connects back to Sun. Uh, Let's move on from Jin and Son,
4: if we can, if we can, for a little while. Uh, From Snorri Jónsson writes in about the C-4 on the plane. Uh, Why did Widmore set up the C-4 in the Ajira plane to destroy the Man in Black's chances of getting off the island? Was it it because of that or was it to kill the candidates once the Man in Black was dealt with? Seems weird that he would rig the C-4 to hinder the Man in Black but not detonate it immediately. So was he intending to kill him? I think, Mike, given what we see of how the Widmore goons operate in front of the man in black and with the smoke monster, I have to uh, take, you know, show me who you are. I got to believe you. I have to believe that Widmore thinks that he can blow up the smoke monster. I really do. I think that he's just an idiot in the final season. And I think final season idiot Widmore thinks that he can lure the man in black onto a plane and blow him up.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, because there's also, yeah, essentially what Snorri is advocating, right, is, hey, if you blow up the play and the smoke monster can't leave the island, but you do have a sub you do have several other ways for, like, you yourself to leave the island, right? This isn't essentially uh, you sort of, like, blowing up the ladder so neither one of you can escape and, like, Dr. Strange, you're stuck in this purgatory forever and ever. Like, I'm sure they wanted to leave the island at some point. And so, yeah, this might have hurt the Man in Black chances of leaving the island, but there were still many ways to do it. So I would imagine that Widmore's perspective is not necessarily remove that variable from the equation and more so like let's use this as bait to get him on there and then blow him up.
4: Uh, Daniel Brennan is also mad about how this episode ends. Uh, why did they end it on the man in black instead of Jack? I'm shook in the worst way. I think my past self tried to protect my current self by remembering Jack starting to cry and a silent lost popping up. I feel like that would have been a much more powerful ending than what we got. The John and Claire scene is fine, but it has no business following the aftermath at the beach. Um, the answer to that is just to yep. set up uh, across the sea, pretty clearly.
2: Yep, but completely cosign everything. It's, it's sort of a, a nothing burger of a cliffhanger of like, oh, now he's really mad and he killed these three people and now he's gonna kill a bunch more yeah um although if you want something that's a
4: little more cheery as it pertains to john Locke, and also uh on the same point of should this have happened at all uh this is something that Stephen mock had sent our way mike uh steven mock had watched the christmas sale uh the terry <laughs> yes! o'quinn hallmark christmas movie uh, and So that's a thing that exists. If anyone, we're, you know, we're in December 2021 as we're saying these words Do you need some John Locke Boxman Christmas yeah. cheer? Not, not only that,
2: where he plays the father of a character played by Katie Sackoff, aka Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica.
4: Yes. Oh, I did not realize that. Uh, So Steven uh, breaks down the episode a bit. It uh, says there's a grumpy father whose wife has died and now hates Christmas because she loved Christmas. Uh, He has a daughter who loves Christmas but moved far away from home. their small town, and now has to return because dad is close to losing the family home. There's the daughter's childhood friend who has always secretly been in love with the daughter. There's shenanigans involving decorating the family sailboat for a Christmas contest. <laughs> uh, it's a typical Hallmark Christmas movie, but it takes a dark turn when Terry O'Quinn's character Dennis turns into black smoke and kills everybody. Uh, it's a bold move for Hallmark, so uh, I'm just gonna have to trust that that's how it happened. Yeah, uh, I mean, as it's sort of like Mock a one. Writes, it yes
2: a one for me one for you thing right of like uh well you know you came here for because you liked to Quin and lost we'll have you do something i love the idea of a christmas contest decorating a sailboat do you think hurley did that for the elizabeth <laughs> when all was said and done in the epilogue
4: yes but it wasn't a, it wasn't a sailboat it was a schooner <laughs> oh wait, exactly. the schooner is a sailboat. Sorry, um, we got six dudes this episode. If you can believe it, the can do date. Uh, six <laughs> dudes. <laughs> uh, we're at two ninety-two dudes and two episodes left to go, plus the epilogue, plus the epilogue. Are we going to count the new man in charge? I think we have to.
2: It's 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 an episode of Lost. We're covering it. We are knock knock knocking on three hundred door. <laughs> we're g- we're going to get three hundred dudes. 300 dudes are there like balloons prepared to fall from the sky when we hit it uh i hope so I hope are over paris happened. susan march dude 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 <laughs> oh. <laughs> 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 yeah i hope that's what happens i do
4: i do um on a much more somber note, and a, a tough segue from from that, we've gotten some uh, feedback from Spencer Y, who is not only somebody who has written into Down the Hatch, but Spencer writes into so many of the shows that we do here on post show recaps, and so prolifically that we're not able to always read Spencer's mm-hmm. feedback. Um, but I know a huge Bloom Files fan, very um, much so, yeah, uh, writing in about Dexter. Uh, just Spencer is a name that I have been reading since uh, you know forever since I've been doing podcasts on PS. Are since 2014, um, and Spencer wrote something in that I wanted to read here on the podcast. Um, Spencer wrote, in a sad episode featuring the deaths of Saeed, Son, and Jin, it's only fitting that my own life meets me where I am, as I'm currently dealing with a recent death near and dear to me. My mother peacefully passed away during Thanksgiving weekend after a multi-year bout with a terminal disease plus other complicating illnesses. Last week, her funeral and burial were held, and I was one of the many people who delivered a eulogy in her memory and honor. Because of this weekly rewatch podcast series being fresh on mind and Lost being one of my all-time favorite shows, I definitely incorporated a reference to the show within the eulogy. Here's the closing quote from my eulogy where I made a reference to Lost and one of my favorite characters, in quotes. So this was Spencer's eulogy. Mom had a lot of hobbies and watching TV was one of them, just like her. I always uh, I also enjoy a wide variety of TV programs. One of my all-time favorite shows is called Lost. It's an American drama about a group of of people who live together on an island after a plane crash. To borrow and modify a quote from one of my favorite characters whose name is desmond hume i say to mom i'll see you in another life mother i love you and i'll miss you um so thank you spencer for sharing that with us we're so sorry for your loss uh we're so grateful for your uh participation in the post show recaps community uh far beyond even down the hatch uh and we are very much thinking about you
2: yeah very much so especially you and your family during this this very tough time i know that you said it was several years ongoing but that doesn't make the loss any easier And uh, like you said, you know, Lost meets you where you are in a way. And in a season and in an episode we just talked about that, that talks about losing someone so suddenly. uh, I I know it must be tough negotiating those themes alongside this. So the fact that you were able to incorporate that into sort of giving a set of final words to your mother, uh, I think, is absolutely beautiful. This is a show... That we have talked about so many times has remained in the pop culture bloodstream for decades at this point because of the strength of its themes and its characters and how relatable that is even under the most unrealistic circumstances. And I think the fact that you were able to to incorporate your mother's love for the show and an iconic line into her eulogy, I think just just speaks to that. So, on behalf of everyone and not only down the hatch and posher recaps, you know our thoughts are with you and your family. At this time. But as as it is to say, it is, you know, it fills my heart to hear that as well, because, you know, Lost and its themes are one of those things that stick with you for a long, long time. Uh, And I think that Spencer's words show that.
4: We have no easy way to segue from that to the MVPs and the LVPs, Mike, but we do have to deliver those points. It's the 23 points section. This week, I've got three MVPs. You have two to hand out. Uh, you have three LVPs and I have two. Um, I will just, you know, say that I am giving, I'll just say my MVP points, Mike, because they're all, they're all interconnected. I am giving my MVP points to Saeed Jirah and the Kwans, that they are the people that we lose here in the submarine, and Saeed is uh, such an incredible character, and the Kwans are such incredible characters that I know what the tradition had been in the past. There's just no human way that I'm giving them LVP anything, and in fact, I need to to memorialize them with my MVP points. That being said, I should specify that the Kwans are sharing one of the MVP point slots, uh, which is going to fix there uh, they were at a half point they both were in the halves at this point they will now have whole numbers uh, behind them uh, because I have to give that third MVP spot so the guy blew him up I, oh. I am giving an MVP point to the smoke monster uh, the Ethan award for, what am I gotta God admire do? what you did he, he did a very effective job <laughs> killing a bunch of candidates <laughs> now maybe there's the argument that I could take him off the board the board because he didn't get them all. But he does get a he does get a bunch of them. Uh, so I am giving the smoke monster points here.
2: Yeah, it's tough, but like this is kind of impressive what he was able to do. Like he really if anything, did. I'm trying to inject some levity into the situation. Box. Yeah, I mean they 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 really did play into everything that he wanted to do. Right? Like, it really did seem like almost suspiciously so. He knew every single thing that they were doing and was able to switch out the bag knowing Jack would get on the sub and they would go on without him. So, I gotta give it up to him. He has been in bad form, I would say, in the back half of Season 6, but this is a Rare glimpse of, I would say, uh, you know, non ineptitude, I guess, aptitude, if that's a word, uh, before we get into, you know, the way we close out the character in the last two episodes. Yeah, uh,
4: for sure. Uh, okay, um, so those are my MVP points. Mike, where are you going?
2: So let me go with two characters that are linked as well. I'm going to give points to Jack and Locke here. Uh, Jack, I think, is mostly going to be from an on island perspective, just because. You know, it's odd to do it, but like, he also does save a good amount of lives here, right? Like, he is the one to jump into action, he's the one to get Hurley. Kate and Sawyer to safety. Obviously, there's a lot of blood to be leaded from the the sub, but there could have been a lot more were it not for Jack. He's the one that goes along with Sawyer's plan. And I'm just going to continue the streak of giving points to Jack. And also, that last scene with Locke is so good. And despite Jack's maybe overstepping behavior throughout the episode, I just love everything that he and Matthew Fox bring to that last scene, which corresponds to my point for Locke. It really is just a point for Terry O'Quinn, because I just think he really delivers a sensational performance in that scene. And we get to unlock so much of that Locke character from the Flash Sideways, and I really want to commend him for it in an opportunity where we see John Locke in the Sideways only a handful of times. Are we going to get admonished
4: for not giving Frank Lapidus an MVP point for surviving the, the submarine well, we explosion? we don't. We don't
2: see it on screen. Yeah, so listen, I, I think... Uh, to spoiler the end, I think he's going to get at least a couple for flying the plane off we'll the see. island.
4: We'll see. There's so many people to give MVP points to. I yeah, think, but I but think we, he'll but get one. We, he'll we, get one at least. Yeah, and we,
2: and we said that for There's No Place Like Home and I believe he's still got one. yeah. So. yeah.
4: Um, Alright, LVP time. Uh, we've got two to hand out in my neck of the woods. Obviously, Seamus. See ya! Bye, Seamus. And then also, we mentioned it before, Widmore Goons are starting to show up here. <laughs> yeah! Uh, we got to give some, some some LVP love to the Widmore Goons. We haven't yet, uh, and this is our last shot to do that. So I'm giving an LVP point to, to Seamus individually, but Widmore Goons writ large as my second shot, and I know that you're piling on them as well.
2: Widmore Goons! Got the logic of a pack of baboons! Should we call uh, them... Widmore Goons has seemingly
4: taken uh, off, but should we have been calling them Widmorons? Oh
2: that works so much better but i kind of like widmore coons yeah, too
4: yeah either or interchangeable these <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, it
2: means the same thing but yeah, i'm gonna add one onto there it's a bit of a late show but like we cannot uh put the blame onto zoe and seamus writ large for like firing at the smoke monster and also doing nothing but that so i gotta put one on here i'm gonna give a point to widmore let's continue that trend because we talked about the sort of like oddness with him putting the c4 on the plane and also him just getting his ass beat essentially by the smoke monster like he set up this whole rigmarole to be like all right we're gonna capture these people put them in cages set up the fences and it still doesn't work yeah. charles winmore's plans continue to blow up in his face god i hate to continue to do this sorry sawyer you continue to get docked here dude i i understand why you did it But you did force the bomb to go into hyperspeed, and it cost a lot of stuff to happen. And so unfortunately, uh, you might have thought it was sound judgment, but it was not sound in the moment. And so you will get a sound LVP point from me once again.
4: Okay, uh, so where we stand right now is um, uh, we have Jack is in the lead. I, a decent amount right now. I think that we're probably getting Jack as our season six MVP at I, this point. I don't point. know.
2: If we're giving MVP LVPs for the man behind the curtain, or sorry, the new man in charge, like. <laughs> That's got to be a good enough for Hurley. Is, Hurley
4: is still in range. He's got five to Jack's eight. Uh, Hurley is the next closest with Kate and John Locke tied in third at four points apiece. I just think that Jack is going to continue collecting MVP points the next two weeks, and Hurley may as well, uh, and may get. You know, uh, we'll see what our system should be for the new man in charge. Um, uh, but we will uh, we'll get there when we get there. But it's it's going to be tight if Hurley is going to eke it out. Uh, I I think Jack right now is looking looking like the guy to beat. Um and mother is still holding it down at negative eight as the LVP of the season. Should we watch Across the
2: Sea again next week just so we can
4: dump more on her?
2: Uh, I'm not gonna torture myself more. We had to we had to watch the brutal deaths of three characters, Josh. Let's let's give ourselves a bit of a break here. It should be noted, Charles Winmore currently tied with Principal Reynolds for the third-to-last spot for Season 6 LVPs, I think he's going to surpass that yes. next week. It remains to be seen, will he surpass Dogen? He is one point above Dogen. I think he will. Uh, we shall see.
4: He's going to surpass Dogen for sure, which is disappointing, but also it is what it is. Um, no,
2: I think it's it's a great, though. I think it is, uh, it's actually very fitting if our bottom three are Dogen, Charles Widmore, and Mother represents probably the three worst parts of Season yeah, 6 I overall. I think that that's
4: totally fair. I think that's totally true. Um, next week, Mike... In another universe, we are doing what Lost did, and we are talking about Across the Sea. But we wisely chose to do that already. So instead, what's going to happen is we're going to feel really, really, really bad about Jin and Sun and Saeed being dead for a week, and that will be an appropriate amount of time to then hop right back in to being really, really, really sad about Jin and Sun and Said, and find out what they died for. Uh, the penultimate episode of Lost is the next episode of the Down the Hatch podcast. We are recording it very early. Uh, we are or uh, we are recording it on uh, December 13th is when we are doing it. So get the feedback in by then. Down the Hatch at postshowrecaps.com For those of you who watch along live with us uh, for the, the lost watch-alongs in the Post Show Recaps patron discord which you can watch along with us at the $5 level at patreon.com slash postshowrecaps uh, we We're going we're to be doing that uh, later than we normally do. It'll be 8 p.m. Eastern on December 14th. I will not be able to attend. Mike Bloom will be holding it down. Um, So those are the relevant dates for you to know if you are listening to this in the real time. Uh, Not too late to get your your 4.2 stars. We certainly want those. Please, down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Mike, uh, there are so many things to plug. You've got the mm-hmm. aforementioned Bloom files. You and Angela Bloom are already uh, off to the races with coverage of The Witcher. Uh, you're doing your season one in review podcast this week in anticipation of the drop of season two of The Witcher next week, and then you'll be doing weekly coverage from that point forward, and it's going to be really exciting. Uh, the podcast that you two did was tremendous, and I'm not going to even come close to spoiling the delicious surprise that comes uh, late in the podcast that every. Everyone should encounter on their own.
2: Yeah, listen, uh, if you love more Goons and Bomb and the Radzinsky, you might want to check out The Witcher podcast. Very excited for that. Uh, you know, The Witcher itself, I'm very excited for. It's only a week away. So Angela and I are going to be doing coverage of each episode. Uh, the premiere is just going to be done like regular, you know, recap style but then after that we're going to be doing sort of like going halvesies between those that take Netflix shows a bit piecemeal versus those that decide to gobble it down in one sort of single bite where we'll talk about things from just an episodic perspective and then overall from like a spoiler filled we just watched the whole season and oh isn't this cool how this played into everything perspective so hopefully we can cover all sorts of areas uh, when it comes to that but I'm very excited about that for those of you that have not checked out The Witcher uh, we did a kickoff show last Last week, That is spoiler free. We just give a general overview as to what the show is, why you might be interested in it. It's only eight episodes uh, on Netflix. Season two is coming on December 17th. And so if you want to check out coverage, do that as well as the great Wheel of Time stuff as well. Fantasy is really alive and. Who knows? Maybe some some other stuff to come uh, as we look to the stars, much like Jack did, uh, and when it comes to post show recaps over the next couple of weeks. Also, should mention uh, for any Survivor fans out there, I will be on the feedback show with Rob Sessarino this week. Might already be out, actually, for some people who are listening to this. That's always a fun tradition we get to take part in, uh, talking about the penultimate episode of Survivor Forty One. So, if you're a fan of reality TV. Check out all that and, and much more and all the stuff Josh is doing over on Post Show Recaps. I should also mention, we forgot to plug this. Uh, it's a bit old in the tooth, but I was on Community Building with you. Uh, yes! The aforementioned Community Building podcast last week. We talked about Christmas, and it was and real nice. And Lost, as well. So it really was very fun. You, me, Jess Sterling talking Abed's uncontrollable Christmas. Uh, claymation, lots of holiday fun, lots of songs. It was a very good time. It was a if you want to hear our thoughts on like the holiday season overall, it was a very fun time to like distill my thoughts about that through the course of that podcast. So I, I think it's still fairly evergreen, much like a Christmas tree.
4: One would hope. So check that out if you don't listen to Community Building, but you want to hear Mike and I talking about community alongside Jess Sterling. That is something that you can put your ears on next week. You can put what they died for in your ears as well. Sounds so strange, um, but Mm-mm-mm-mm. it's it's happening uh it is upsetting and yet it is what must be done we are so close to the end of the line here oh,
2: Mike. it feels god like i just got like a, a twinge we gotta of, finish
4: what we started like john loki we gotta go off so, we've got we've like, got work to do
2: now i don't want to get there you but know it have feels to. like it feels like we passed a significant milestone and Miles like you Strong. said um we'll see him next episode luckily uh yeah it's a weird it's it's an interesting episode next week you know another penultimate like setting up the pieces for the chess match at the end you know it's
4: not the best episode of the show but i like it i I think think there's some stuff in there that's pretty good
2: we get to kill off zoe and charles winmore which is nice uh so yeah i mean like you said uh this was a big episode to cover i hope we were able to cover it for for people i know that that you know we might have our disagreements, specifically when it comes to like the Jin and son of it all maybe some things hit differently for for other people but that's the onus of lost in general and so i hope people had a fun time this is a much heavier episode of both the show and the podcast and i think the episodes surrounding it and i i hope we were able to cover the material appropriately
4: for sure agreed uh we will be back next week with what they died for just a couple of episodes left savor every minute that you got with us uh or burn it with fire, whatever you choose. We understand. We will be back next week with more down the hatch. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye bye.
2: <laughs>
3: It's a great point, you know, in
0: plus. 18 plus.